Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Bottom of the Bill. How you been? I've been pretty good. I was talking to the audience and looking right at the camera, but yeah, thanks for letting me know. Well, I thought we could have a little discourse as well. You Let's know go I mean? back and forth. How you been? Out of 10? Out of 10. Fucking, can you do negative? Yeah, I'm at, uh, I'm with you. Yeah. Uh, but uh, today's episode is not negative. We had Chris no. Kamado on of Displace. Um, it was a super fun conversation. Yeah. The dude's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Displace is working on some amazing stuff right now. It was cool to get to kind of talk about the like the concepts album, the concept albums that they uh, were putting together yeah. a while back, and how it's kind of just like continued. He's continued the theme throughout. He every says album. he's not a really theatrical guy, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me! Like writing a musical, uh, that award-winning musical, and then the album that he's coming out with now, like it's very deep and yeah, yeah, yeah. very showy, but not in a bad way. Not in a sh- not a bad way at all. It's like an, it's it's super creative, and I and I love. I can't it. wait to hear you. Yeah, honestly, December sixth. December sixth is when it goes live. Uh, the album, and then December tenth is their show at Crowbar in Billy's favorite town. Yep. Tampa, that's how you say it, right? Uh, uh, Ch- Champa Bay, they call it. Champa now. Bay, Cause okay. Because of, of Tom fucking Brady. That's right, Tom Brady. And the Lightning. My big NBA. And the guy. Rays. Um, but anyways, um, before we let you get to the episode, we got a merch store available. The website is up, bottomofthebill.com. It's got merchandise. It's got all kinds of great ep- uh, information, full episodes on there. Listed below. It Listed below in the description. Yeah. Uh, so check it out. Support what we got going on. Uh, enjoy it's our last episode of the season as I far know. as guests it's kind of wild has this this just flew by uh it's it's our last episode of the, well not like last episode with a get for the year for the year can you believe it's been a fucking year it's been crazy i can <laughs> i can't been renting out my house for the past 12 months you yeah, fucking got yes yeah, so we now nah, it's been fine it's been fine so we have chris and gene on board yeah, yeah it's just it's flown man yeah it's been an, it's been a blessing having these guys on and uh, just a lot of fun, and I'm stoked with everything we've been creating and stoked for what's going to happen next year. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so in the meantime, enjoy the episode, Chris Camato, right now. Yeah, I'll let you have that one. Bottom of the Bill starts now! This is Bottom of the Bill. Where we talk about the modern grind of a musician. Album cycle. Oh, hold on, Bill. Give me a second, man. Because we don't know what we're talking Spotify about. Spotify playlist. You keep interrupting me. That's not how we discussed it. Just give me a second, man. We invite established artists Festival on Festival sh- lineups. Can I just get my stuff out real quick? We invite established artists on to share their strategy to success. Marketing strategy. The premier do-it-yourself podcast. Hashtag DIY. Aw, oh, screw it. This is bottom of the bill. Chris Camato, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. How you doing? Hey, very good, very good. Just got done teaching uh, for seven hours, and then I got a rehearsal because I'm a psycho. But yeah. you know, doing pretty good overall. <laughs> Hell yeah! Thanks for fitting the podcast into your busy schedule. We appreciate it. <laughs> Hell yeah! I'm very, very stoked to be doing this, and I appreciate you guys. <laughs> Do you teach mostly kids, or uh, just like range? I was, I was hoping we we're gonna go into this. Yeah, I, I'm curious. 
Yeah, uh, my youngest student is four, and my oldest student is 64. So, um, yeah, all ages, all instruments, all types of crazy, you know. Yeah, I was wondering what you teach because you're multi-instrumentalist. Yeah, I'll do, uh, I guess the majority of my students are probably, it's an even split between, like, uh, voice, guitar, piano. Um, I have a lot of kids in, like, a, a singer-songwriter program that are, like, I'm producing their albums and whatnot, and I usually make them learn at one point, if they come in playing like guitar and they sing, then I'll have them play piano also. Um, if they play piano and sing, I'll have them play guitar or like drums, and they kind of learn the basics and the mechanics of kind of everything over time. Um, and especially like the like ins and outs, um, basic tracking and stuff. We don't get too, too much into mixing for the majority of the kids. But, um, so cool. but yeah, I have obviously some like saxophone, flute, clarinet, uh, ukulele, some drum students, some bass students. Um, we have Danny J actually who teaches here. Um, she teaches violin, um, guitar, uh, viola, cello. She's great. You're running yeah. the school out of your house. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty sweet. Yeah, it's uh, it's not a, ha it's definitely not a home. Uh, I might actually, if we're mobile on this iPad here, I might even like you know show you guys. It's it's uh, it's a kind of cool setup actually. Yeah, hell yeah. Let's right, we'll do Let's do do a little virtual so, tour. We'll do MTV Cribs later. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, well uh, but yeah, that's. Huh? I was going to say the reason why we asked is because Anton uh, just started teaching a little while ago, and he's just the best with kids. hundred <laughs> percent. Well, no, uh, I've done a little bit of teaching over the years, and I never really stuck with anything just because it's not uh, the medium that I find I am most helpful in when it comes to music. Um, mm. You don't need to be helpful to teach. <coughs> I feel like that's exactly what you need to oh, do. Oh, maybe you, teach. you do. Sorry. sorry. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> so, just a recent experience. It's always it, it's it's not the teaching so much. It's it's usually just like the the varied age range, and I don't particularly know how to communicate super well with children. That's why I was curious <laughs> as to how um, you know how you kind of approach students at different levels. Billy is. Um, hasn't really evolved past the age of 12, so he's really good with children. <laughs> and um, I was born out of the womb just like this. So um, sure, I never... The hairiest baby you've ever seen. Yeah. So <laughs> for him, like, like working with children is just so second nature. Yeah. Um, I don't know. How, how do you, you, you kind of get over that hump if you have any of that at all? Uh, I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm like a giant man child. I never really finished developing into adulthood, uh, for sure. And I've sort of uh, delayed adolescence and, and I guess, uh, maturity. Uh, I'm staving it off as long as I can. So I made it in my 30s and still haven't grown up, so I'm hoping to keep that going strong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, just but just... Um, I mean, a big part of it is I have some kids that are, you know, if, if an eight-year-old come in, comes into a lesson, like, they might still believe in Santa Claus or something, you know? And so their, their sense of, like, mystery and wonder and awe and sort of, I guess, the negative connotation is gullibility, but their, their sense of, like, they haven't been contaminated or poisoned by reality just yet and so they're still fresh with you know you can tell them like oh my god yeah I like levitated on the way here and like you know I was upside down yesterday and it was just do you remember when the whole world was like upside down and they'll just be like yeah like totally yeah <laughs> and so I mean we've we've had lessons uh you know, some of these kids, are, we'll, we'll just sit on the floor because they just, they're like, it's floor time. And I'm like, it is floor time. Yeah. And we just sit on the floor and, you know, you, you just, you have to, whereas an adult would obviously be like, that's ridiculous. Like, you weren't levitating. Don't tell me that. You know, right. um, we're not sitting on the floor. I'm an adult, you know. So as long as you're able to kind of 
kind of ride with that, like sort of childlike innocence and sort of, um, and get on their level, like literally, you know, and, and kind of act like a kid. It kind of keeps you young and it kind of keeps things fun and it, and it sort of preserves your own sense of wonder and imagination um, that so many other people our age and older kind of kill uh, all too soon, in my opinion. Yeah, I can, I can see that for sure. How, how do you deal with it, Bill? Is it kind of same same deal when you're Without teaching kids? Without a doubt, yeah. you just you you it's uh, you kind of treat not treat because that sounds like a mean way of putting, it, but like you treat your uh, relationship with a, a child student as like you're just treating them like a miniature kind of goofy Dumbo adult. Yeah, like you 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 talk to them like they're an adult. And then as soon as they start, you know, talking about Dragon Ball Z, you're like, fuck yeah. Uh, I think it was pretty dope when Goku went to Super Saiyan 3. Yeah. You mm-hmm. just And then you ride that. Yeah. But one thing you never do is try to reason with them yeah. at all. Yeah. Or to make them come to grips with the crushing reality that everything will end. Yeah. And I think that's, if you just do that, well, I don't. Yeah, you might you might take off, Mr. Yeah. Holland's Opus over here, like yeah. I was saying earlier. <laughs> it's pretty brutal. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah. I don't know what the analogy is, but it's quite a sight to watch you try and uh, teach a six-year-old who has no interest in playing I would, music. I would kill to watch it. Like it's, if you could, I know it's you can't really film it because it's ch- kids, but like maybe I'll just be in there and just like, like yeah, I don't know, he's doing good. Yeah, it's like it's like <laughs> it's like if Darth Vader would have raised Luke Skywalker kind of situation. Mm. You know what I mean? That's pretty good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Anyways, enough about that. Um, I want to talk about uh, you and the things that you got going on. Um, what is your primary instrument? What, what would you say is the instrument that you play uh, best or that you're most comfortable with? Uh, it's a toss up between saxophone and voice because those are my two majors at USF. Um, so. Um, yeah, I did voice performance and saxophone performance. So probably, I mean, I, I guess I'm more proficient on sax because um, nobody has a saxophone player, so I, I get a lot more gigs on that than I do vocals, I suppose. Um, but yeah, definitely voice and sax for sure. Although my favorite to play is definitely bass. It's just definitely not my most proficient. But Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's, that's an instrument right there that I also can't really fully grasp because it's like, as a guitar player... Um, you spend so much of your time, I think, uh, learning how to play melodies. And obviously rhythm, rhythm is, is an important part of it, too. It's a very crucial part of it. But I think that you're learning more how to, how to dance around the, the rhythm section rather than being so locked mm. in with it. And um, as a, for me as a bass player, it's like trying to figure out how to, you know, have the melodic the melodic sensibility but also make sure that you're really locked in with the drummer that's like like kind of balancing two different worlds i think i get a little um overwhelmed with do you find that at all mm. yeah totally and actually that's my biggest thing is i tend to do a lot more like ooh, just kind of floating around and doing my thing and then i'm like oh wait no ah where's the one like where's the kick you know um, so that's that's why I'm not a fantastic bass player. I, I noodle around a bit too much. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely understand that. What do you think? Billy mm-hmm. thinks that all guitar players can just naturally play bass also. Uh, it depends on the style. Yeah, right? I mean, like, it's just a, it's just a bigger guitar, right? <laughs> yeah, but it's a totally yeah. different approach to, to music, though, you know? <laughs> but you still use the same, like hands right yeah but I, I my finger technique is terrible my finger picking like i can finger pick on, on guitar 
right? And I can also use a pick on guitar, but neither one of those things translate to like translates to bass for me very easily. Right. You know. I don't. I don't think I ever. I was like, no. I, I I've said this before. You know, you got me. I was like, we don't have a bass player. I'm like, well, you play guitar, so you can play bass, right? Yeah, it's, it's literally like your exact words. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like you can play piano, you can play organ. I'm like, yeah. No, no again, it's yeah. such a different instrument. Though. No, it's the same thing. Same thing. Just different sound. <laughs> That's what, what I'm trying to say. People don't understand what I deal with on a regular basis. Well, whatever. <laughs> it's, like just, it's like a fucking brick wall, bro. You can play. I can. You can play piano, so you can play organ and synthesizer. I'm like, yeah, I can. So okay. That's how it works. <laughs> all right. Interesting. They all, they all look the same. Yeah. Yeah. It yeah. makes sense. And like they a, have amps, you know? Yeah. It's like a stick shift in a, a car. If you drive one, you can drive them all. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so anyways, um, <laughs> when did you get started playing music, Chris? Oh, man. Uh, it's actually a really goofy story. It was 1999. And, uh, okay, here's the scene. I'll set it for you. It's 1999. I've got my Jinko jeans on because I'm, like, really cool and, like, a skater dude or whatever, right? And also, like, a big old nerd. And uh, <clears throat> so I go into day one of Carwise Middle School, and I get my schedule. And sixth period, some asshole put me down in band. And I was like, listen, I marched after first period, I marched down to the guidance counselor's office. I'm like, listen, lady, like, you got me mistaken for someone else. Like, I am not a band nerd. You need to fix this right fucking now. I was pissed. <laughs> and she's like, calm your tits, little kid. Like, it's fine. I changed it. <laughs> But you got to go this one day, okay? And then tomorrow you're not in band. You're in wheel doing, like, computer science or whatever the hell. And uh, so, yeah, I go in there, um, sixth period, and there was no, like, desks or anything like every other class. There was just, you know, there's chairs on, like, the band risers, and we weren't even sitting in those. We were just sitting on the floor in a big circle, and we were rolling a tennis ball around and passing it to each other. I don't even remember what we did. Uh, I don't know what exactly happened that day, but I do know that I went home and I told my parents that I wanted to go play clarinet and I wanted to stay in band. Um, and I chose that because when I had been convinced somehow to just do this band thing and have this magical moment um, unexpectedly, um, <clears throat> the bell rang and I was supposed to get on my bus and I was like, all right, Mr. Edwards, like, what's the easiest instrument? You know, because I wasn't trying to, like, try hard or whatever. And he's like, oh, clarinet. Definitely clarinet is the easiest. And my friend CJ had gone up to him and been like, Mr. Edwards, what's the easiest instrument? He's like, oh, trombone. Like, definitely trombone. <laughs> oh, wow. And then John Cassidy was like, he was like, oh, trumpet, trumpet, definitely trumpet. So he assigned us all these instruments because we all asked him separately what was the easiest one. And he told us all those. And so, uh, yeah, I went home, got, told my parents I wanted to play clarinet, and pretty much that's how I got into music. Wow. <laughs> And uh, that yeah. and uh, so so that was in in band then right like you did it for band and then what mm -hmm. was kind of the, the uh, like what was kind of the next steps you started like I guess in school you were playing and stuff when did you kind of like start playing in bands and jamming with friends and mm. stuff like that yeah uh, pretty much I picked up sax the following year for jazz band just because I didn't have clarinet so I had to pick it up and I was like cool sick. So I was playing clarinet in concert band, saxophone, and jazz band. Um, and then when I went to high school, um, I was kind of attracted to this girl who was going to do marching band. And my buddies were like, maybe we should do marching band. And I was like, well, Julie's doing marching band. I guess I'll do marching band. So I was like, cool, let's do marching band. So then I played uh, clarinet in that, and then I auditioned for the orchestra. Um, and I got, I actually tied in first chair like my freshman year with like two seniors. It was pretty sweet. And I was oh, like, sure. okay, cool. I guess I'm like okay at this. And one of them was actually like in Allstate. It was like, it was kind of dope. It was like really cool. And um, so I was pretty stoked on that. And then I did marching band all four years of uh, 
high school, although I switched to alto sax sophomore year, and um, I did pretty good with that, and I was like section leader and all this. Um, and, and then I picked up guitar. Well, I picked up bass first, actually, because my buddy Josh played guitar, and uh, we listened to a lot of Blink-182 and like punk skater shit. And um, so, but he already played guitar, so I had to play bass. And I was like, that's cool, that's fine. So I picked up bass when I was, I guess it would have been like 2003, maybe 2002, and then guitar like shortly after that, and like kind of piano in like 2005, 2006. Uh, and then I went to USF and I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do because um, I didn't really want to major in music because I didn't want to be like broke as shit. You know, yeah. <laughs> or so, or so I thought. <laughs> and uh, and then yeah, I kind of somewhere along the way, I just sort of changed my mind. Just kind of was like, all right, I'll do this music thing. And um, my roommate had a band, and he's like, oh, well, come jam with us, you know. And so I kind of was screwing around with that a little bit. It was called Dancing with the Capulet, and it was a pretty sick band, man. They were into like Mars Volta and some like really difficult stuff. And I played with them for a while, and looking back on it, it was pretty terrible because, uh, for, I mean. They were great, but I didn't know what the hell I was doing, and like I didn't know how to improvise in that kind of context, you know. Um, but then, yeah, I kind of I found other groups in the area. Um, I fell into the OBJ scene by way of my good friend Animal, the Reverend Funky D. Um, he kind of pulled me into that whole thing. Uh, was in and out of bands, and then eventually found my um, displaced people, and kind of just been running around doing that ever since. Hell yeah! <laughs> and so the uh, this is all, <coughs> you said you went to USF. Did you grow up in St. Pete, Tampa area, like, your whole life? Uh, yeah, I did, um, I grew up in Tarpon, well, Oldsmar. It's, uh, a little bit west of here by, like, Palm Harbor, kind of. Right, right, right. Um, and then I went to high school in Tarpon Springs. Okay, cool. And what was, yeah. what, what was kind of, like, the, the scene, I guess, did you, was most of your music stuff like uh, in the school setting uh, until you got linked up with uh, the guys in college? Or were you kind of out in the scene a little bit? And if so, what was the, the scene like at that time? Mm, yeah, I was pretty much, um, I don't know if you guys did marching band or know people that do, but uh, it just, it eats up your whole life. There's like, you know, there's, you have it in school, you have rehearsal like four days a week, uh, four evenings a week. There's not really much time for much else. Right. And our uh, our band director was the visual caption head for Phantom Regiment, which at the time was the number two drum corps in the world, which is like the the closest thing to like a professional marching band or whatever. Um, so he was a real like drill sergeant. So I didn't really get out and check out, you know, the I guess the local band scene so much. I was kind of... Um, I guess insulated isn't the right word, but I was very much like distanced from that. I was just kind of laser focused on my little bubble of like marching band and stuff. Yeah, yeah, totally. Did you did you play mm. play music like that? There's in not school? a lot of piano in marching band, so no. <laughs> no, no. I'm saying like like did you get, like were you in band or anything like? In, no, in, because in I I literally school? can't play any other instrument than piano. They they don't have like a mm. piano like in high in high school bands or mm. anything. No, not jazz bands or like any other versions of. Uh, not as far as I know. Really? I'm pretty sure. Chris, uh, sorry, uh, Underdog, can you back me up on this? Um, there's piano in jazz bands. In, ja sure. in jazz bands there are. Yeah. Not a lot of jazz in Kentucky. Well, also. we had, <laughs> we had uh, piano in our pit and marching band. Really? So, yeah. Well, how do you, how did, what did the piano, how, how do you march around with a piano? No, it's, it's in the pit, the part that doesn't march, the percussion section. I am, I'm out. Because you don't yeah. march a xylophone. <laughs> now, if they bring guitar into it. 
then I probably would have done it, but no, I was I was totally content playing Coldplay covers at my house. Yeah, yeah, you were. So, <laughs> Still are. So you were just yeah. Coldplay's a great band. So Fuck you, off. So you were just insulated because you were antisocial and had no friends. You were insulated, Chris, because you were actually learning how to play music. <laughs> am I, am I right? Am, am I right on this, Bill? Would you Would you say that I'm right about I was, this? Yeah, I was definitely a social butterfly. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> everyone loved me. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so. Um, let's talk about, uh, forming Displace and kind of how that came. I'm sure we're skipping over a bunch of stuff, but I know Displace has some stuff happening now that I want to get into. So let's talk about, uh, the evolution of that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of evolution, fun fact, uh, we actually just dropped a remix of our song Possums today. Um, and it was actually remixed by a former student of mine, and his name is Evolution. His name is Evan. Wow. Um, so that was an interesting choice of words. So that was pretty sweet. Maybe it was um, maybe it was grilled into my because I did see that post earlier, and I don't know why I use the word evolution right now. I was definitely <laughs> searching for a word to use. Maybe that's why it came in there. It was just like a yeah, subconscious yeah. thing. That's pretty dope. But congratulations. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, it was actually, it's really cool, too, because I was, you probably read, but I, I taught him, you know, like, over a decade ago, and I, I taught him, like, voice, piano, a little bit of guitar, and then he saw me doing, like, a live loop set at Thunderbox, where I used to do, like, I would beatbox and play, like, bass, keys, sax, vocals, whatever, and uh, he was like, oh, dude, that's, like, you know, can you teach me how to beatbox, and so I did, and he actually, like, earlier this year, um, he wrote a song called Beatbox, and then he featured me on it. It was really cool. So we got to, like, do that together, and it's just, yeah, it was really sweet. That's awesome, man. Very um, cool. Yeah, man, thanks. But, um, yeah, so to answer your question, yeah, so Displace formed in 2012, and I was actually originally the bass player. Um, and so we had, we were a five-piece band, and um, somewhere along the way, uh, oh, yeah, actually, I had a gig at Dunderbox, and um, Displace also had a gig. And I was like, hey, listen, I've got this dude that he can fill in. Like, he can hang. Trust me. But the deal is you have to promise me that you're not going to come home and be like, oh, he needs to be the bass player now because he's super dope. And they were like, no, we promise. You're the bass player. It's fine. Like, we love your <laughs> bass playing. And I was like, cool. And so they go, I, they go play their gig, I go play mine, and they come to my house afterwards, and they're like, Chris, listen, we have this great idea. And I was like, <laughs> oh boy. no. And they're like, why don't you do lead vocals and play saxophone, and Vinny Svoboda will be our bass player. Oh, and I was like, God well, damn it, I knew. Of course, yeah, because that's what should happen, right? Because Vinny is a fucking animal. That's yeah. why. He's really great. Yeah. And no I, offense. I knew that would happen, you know. And, and I knew that's what needed to happen. Uh, so I just like to play bass. But I was like, okay, clearly this is the move, so we'll do that. Um, and then I think it was a few months later that our tenor saxophonist uh, left the band. And that was when I think the band really, like, got serious, when we were a four-piece um, and that would have been, I guess, 2013, maybe it's all kind of a blur. And I was like, all right, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it. You know, we started like booking shows for real and, you know, not just kind of screwing around, like playing jams for three hours, which I guess we still do, but just a little more coherently than it was back then. Right. <laughs> where we didn't really have any songs, you know? Um, and then, yeah, we, uh, we put out, um, Eureka, which has a whole crazy concept. I could ramble about that. Um, and um, it's sort of about kind of discovering this, like, light bulb moment. Um, and Well, I guess it is kind of important because it ties into what we're doing now. Uh, so I've always been into making, like, really big works. Like, 
I wrote, produced, directed, and starred in an award-winning musical in 2012. I don't usually talk about it because I just don't really, I'm kind of done with it. But um, I, I, I have, like, big ideas, and I'm not really satisfied unless they're executed, like, in a very, like, on a big scale. You know, I don't like to just, like, throw out a single here and there. And um, so we Amen. had actually kind of, right, it's yeah, a thing. I'm with you, man, 100%. <laughs> I feel you. Like, I feel like how can you summarize the infinite complexities of the human mind in a song? Like, t I guess you can, but it kind of takes a lot of songs. You yeah, know? totally. Maybe it, <laughs> maybe it takes a lifetime of everybody's songs all together all at once to even have a shot, you know? <laughs> oh, man, there's a there's a sound I can live without ever hearing in my life. <laughs> <laughs> what, 10,000 didgeridoos? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, come on. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but yeah, we decided that um, the concept discography was a cool vibe. So we went with that. And so the first record is called Eureka. And um, it's sort of about, it's based off Archimedes discovering the concept of displacement. And TLDR version is, he's a mathematician. The king's got a crown. The king's like, bro, I need you to tell me if this crown is like legit or not. And he's like, ah. And he's like, yeah, you got three days to figure it out or I'm going to kill you. And because that's just how they just got shit done back then. And so he's like, well, I can't melt it down because I'll destroy it, you know, but I don't know how to, like, see if it's pure gold or if it's cut with, like, you know, lead or whatever the hell, if it's plated. So he's, like, trying to figure out, and, like, the third day, the sun's setting, and he's literally thinking about the sun setting on his life, and he sinks down into the bathtub, and as he does, to kind of, like, like, cool his mind off, and as he does, he notices that the water level rises, and he concludes that the water has risen by... The, the amount of water that's been displaced by his sinking into it must equal his mass. And since he knows the mass of gold versus other metals, he can like safely and accurately calculate whether or not the crown is made of pure gold. So he solved this like massive like question that yeah. he had. And, and then he's he, so excited. Yeah. Sorry. Huh? It was okay. No, he just he jumps <laughs> up naked, like runs through the streets screaming Eureka. Like that's his whole vibe, you know. And so that's kind of that's what the, the first record's about, is about having this light bulb moment. And I remember I had it with Displace. I was, at the time, as I said, I wrote a musical, and I was torn between this decision to keep pursuing that, and actually my buddy Brendan wanted me to come up to New York, and he's like, dude, I've got like a theater up here, I've got a budget, we can put it on, we can do this. And, and we were jamming in um, my buddy Brett Peretz's kitchen, um, and we started doing this tune, Needles, which was a song that I wrote with my friend Josh, who passed away, and... Um, we, I just, I, it, everything just kind of clicked. And I was like, oh, this is where I need to be. This is the band I need to be with. These are the people I need to be making music with. Like, let's go. And so the whole album sort of teases this Needles melody and kind of leads up to this like light bulb moment of profound realization at the end in Needles. Um, that's been my favorite, yeah, so sort of favorite like song for record. like a decade. I swear <laughs> to God. I, remember the first, I still remember the first time I heard that song where I was and everything. Really? <laughs> yeah, I was at uh, the Funky Buddha Lounge. In South Florida? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, no, 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 no. Or maybe it was. Uh, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. The one in Boca Raton, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Lucky Costello played with, uh, a set with y'all. And uh, Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I fucking was like, play Needles! This is the best fucking song in the world. I, so happy. <laughs> I've uh, never... I, I'll to, is that album? That album's yeah, out. Yeah, it's on. Right? On Spotify and everything? Yeah, yeah. I'll have to go back and mm -hmm. check it out. Uh, I, I'd love to hear cool. that. I love that, that track. I should have blasted it before we started. That's uh, a... <laughs> Thanks, man. What an opportunity to turn down, though, to go to New York and like and and uh, you must have had some real faith in 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 what you were doing at, at the time. Um, do you feel comfortable at all going into the musical that you did and uh, you know just a little bit about, about that process, how it won an award and everything like that? 
Yeah, sure. Um, so it's called inertia. And um, inertia is the force uh, that resists gravity, right? right? So uh, we think of gravity as a force that pulls down, right? So like drop this and it goes down. But the actual definition of gravity is it's a force that attracts lesser objects towards something greater than themselves, like the moon to the earth or the earth to the sun. And so at the time, I kind of looked around at this world, and it just seemed like it was caught up in a bunch of distractions. And whether those distractions manifested in substances like pot pills, alcohol, mushrooms, or uh, cults like religious fanaticism or sports fanaticism or celebritocracy obsession or whatever, it seemed like there were a number of systems put in place, whether intentionally or unintentionally, that sort of kept our minds from things that mattered to this like immaterial nonsense. Um, whether that's the work of like the Illuminati or whatever, you know, conspiracy theorists can left to, you know, they can kind of fight over that. But regardless of the intention or, um, or what have you, you can't deny that those things exist. And so I believe at the time and still do that society is stuck in a state of social inertia and we are resisting this pull towards something greater, whether that's like God or utopia or at the very least a better society because of our insatiable appetite for distractions. Uh, and so the, the musical was all about sort of creating informed citizens in a democratic society, responsible consumers in a capitalistic society, and tolerant believers in a diverse society. And that was kind of, it was like a social thing. Uh, spoiler alert, it's really depressing, and it's like, it's because I think it's realistic, and I'm a very pessimistic person, as optimistic as I also am, and so it gets pretty dark. But, uh, but it was a good time, you know, it was fun. Did you ever record it or anything? <laughs> Uh, twice I tried to. The first time we did it, uh, it was, a, I mean, it was a three-hour musical, man. The soundtrack's right. still on Spotify somewhere. Um, it doesn't make sense without the dialogue, and so I, I had some girl that was supposed to film it. It was Saturday night. We were killing it. Everyone was hitting their cues, um, and then someone came and told me at the end of the first act that she just didn't show up. Uh, oh, so I was like, oh, fuck. that sucks, so never got video of it. The second time, we put it on at the 2012 Orlando International Fringe Festival where it won Best Musical and Best National Show, and I hired someone. I paid them cash in advance to come film it. And then they showed up, but they never gave me the footage. Um, uh. And then I think that was a big part of why I just became so demoralized. I was like, dude, like, I had spent, you know, so much time on this thing, and it's like, all right, you know, and here I am, like, you know, at the time, I'm sort of, like, dejected and sort of, like, just come out of that. And then I meet these dudes in Brett's kitchen, and we're jamming out, and it's awesome. And at the same time, I'm also teaching and getting fulfillment from that. And so I'm like, all right, maybe that's a sign that I'm just kind of, I don't really want to do this shit anymore. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So it's kind of the opportunity that, that, that was that was presented to you, to you in New York didn't really have the same kind of weight anymore as you were kind of moved on from the project emotionally, I guess. Mm, totally, yeah. And, and it's, it's also hard to, I mean, you got to figure, like, with musical theater, you spend so much time, man. I mean, it was 40 hours a week for three months straight. You're not getting paid for it. You know, everyone's just kind of donating their time. And you, you put all this time and effort and energy in for, like, a couple performances. You know, it might be like a, a Thursday night preview, Friday, Saturday, Sunday matinee, boom. Like, that's it, you know. And then meanwhile, I get together with the displaced guys and we don't even rehearse and we just go perform you know what i mean so the, the ratio of rehearsal to performance was just so astronomically high and so much work for just now the high that you get from a musical is obviously for me it's unlike any sort of show that you play but it to me it just wasn't worth the amount of rehearsal that went into it where you're not i would rather use that time to like perform and reach more people 
Um, and then at the same time, it also took me away from teaching. And I was really getting into teaching at the time and really realizing that I, just like you said, I think before we started, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that or not, but yeah, go ahead. you had said that you, you felt, um, you know, that, that maybe your energy could best be spent in another, on another path or in another direction and you could reach more people in that way. I felt like, yeah, the, the concept of the musical is pretty cool, but I felt like I was watching a real tangible thing happen with my students. And I was like, wow, you know, I'd rather put my energy at that. And then while I'm doing that, like doing this displace thing and that instead of the whole go to New York and just try to do this musical thing again. Right, <laughs> you know? right. No, that totally makes sense for sure, man. I, I can definitely appreciate that. And you were you said you were writing this and everything like that. Had you had any experience doing musical theater or like being in plays growing up or nothing? Nothing. That's crazy. I actually, uh, another just like bizarre sort of thing, sort of like how I got into music in the first place. Um, I was at USF. I was doing the chamber singers, um, and my uh, choral director there. And it was also my first year ever. I never did choir through like middle school or high school or anything. I just kind of like jumped into this thing. And he was like, oh, they're doing a musical. Uh, you should go audition. And I was like, I don't know, man. Like, I've never done a musical. I've never read lines before. Like, I don't know what to do. And he's like, no, just, like, show up. And uh, I did. I walked up. I sang Let It Be. And it was the musical Hair, which is, like, a rock musical. And yeah. I had long hair at the time. And so they were like, oh, yeah, you're the – I got the the lead just kind of, like, walking on audition. <laughs> and I was like, uh. And I was like, dude, I literally don't read lines. And I told him that. I was like – at the audition, I was like, okay, I'll read this thing. And I felt, like, weird. And um, I, I was very uncomfortable, and I was like, it felt strange getting the lead, and there was this other dude that was all pissed off because he was, like, for sure going to get it because he was, like, he's like, where did this guy come from? You know, he's not a theater kid. Like, what the hell? And um, But it ended up that the character was so very much like me, just sort of a slightly more psychedelic version of myself that I didn't really have to act. And I just kind of was just, I was just myself on stage, you know? Um, so I don't. Even, I wouldn't even say that I like acted at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was just me. Right. And um. And pretty much the the dean of the the honors college at USF saw that performance and he said, "Hey, how would you like to write a musical?" And I was like, "What are you talking about, dude?" Like, and he didn't know what he was asking at the time, and I didn't know what I was agreeing to. But I was like, "Yeah, I guess I'll write a musical, sure." And so I did as my honors thesis. I just started like taking some you know theater. I took like a couple theater writing classes and whatnot, and studied some works and. Um, I had a lot of ideas in my head that were kind of driving me crazy at the time, and it ended up being like the perfect outlet to just kind of unleash them, get them out. That's awesome. And were you were you able to delegate some of the responsibility out once you once once it kind of started becoming like a like a physical, living, breathing thing? It was no longer just in your head, and these were songs you had written. Obviously, there's got to be like there has to be a show now as well, right? And you start delegating out responsibilities. Like, what was that like? It was actually great because I didn't end up telling anybody to do anything. Like, I just said, what would you do or what do you think is the best thing? So I, I, I should, I really can't even talk about it in terms of w without describing everything that everyone else did. I mean, I didn't write any vocal harmonies to it. And my buddy Brendan was like, there's no harmonies in your musical. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. And he was like, I'm making harmonies. So then he just started <laughs> having people sing harmonies and stuff. And that's what ended up on the record. A lot of times, like, the lines that I wrote, just, like, when they started actually running through them, they were like, I don't think I would say that at all. And I was like, so don't say it. Say what you, what do you think you should say? So the characters, like, improvised lines and added their own stuff. And I think that that from a, that's something that I totally stole from Andy Fry, who directed Hair. He, he wouldn't really, he would kind of loosely stage us, and he would just let us sort of fall into what felt comfortable. And so I took that approach um, to inertia. And then now, as my role has kind of shifted 
and displaced into, I, I hate to use the term, but more of like a, I guess you call a band leader, whatever. I, I don't really tell anyone what to do ever. You know what I mean? Like they just, you're like, hey, maybe here's some chords, maybe, I don't know, or not. You know, maybe this is a groove or not, you know, and, and you give people an idea of what it could be, but then you always allow them the ability to be themselves in that, like playing that part. And I think that that's how people, you know, can, can very naturally convey and express in their own voice the idea or whatever you may have written, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah totally. So. Totally. I, I love that, man, for sure. I feel like that's like the best way to let the creative process thrive is like coming with a little nugget of an idea and then letting everybody kind of put their their frills on it you know yeah joel told us that mm. yeah joel comments on first mcgee we got him on a little while ago and he was saying that he was uh, yeah yeah i know right and we would uh 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 he he would write songs but he would like purposely not finish them yeah and so and then bring that unfinished song to the to the band so that they could finish it together and yeah. everything like that totally mm. i love that 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 dynamic i feel like that's where the kind of democracy within a band kind of lies is in the creative process you know it's like the mm -hmm. I, I feel like that's what helps keep the, the music interesting for sure we did that so yeah. many times oh yeah yeah it was kind of ridiculous you're like you you, sh you need to play something like this i'm like no yeah no way i'm doing that yeah. <laughs> like doing my own and you're like all right it's better I'm yeah, like, yeah damn right it's better <laughs> totally, yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. i love that um, I want to get so much more into this dynamic because I, I love, uh, I want to talk more about what this place has going on right now. Um, but before we do that, we should get into Bottom of the Billboard. Okay. Which is a uh, segment that we review. Now we've changed it up a little bit. We used to just kind of like recommend a song to listen to, review it, and see if it makes it on the playlist. And that was fun. But Now our, we let fate decide. Now we let fate decide and we review the, whatever songs on the actual little, literal bottom of the billboard, top 100, the song <laughs> that is at the 100 spot. And uh, it's been quite an interesting experience uh, to do so. So um, yeah, this, <laughs> yeah, I've been really enjoying well, it. Well, he honest. enjoys that. <laughs> um, so uh, today's song is... Uh, I can't remember the name of the song, but I remember all three people that are that are in the song. It's uh yeah, wh um what's it what's it called, Chris? What did I say it was called? Staying alive. Staying alive. Was, yeah, it's oh. Bee Gees. No, you're good, Chris. You're, you're good. You're good. They're, you're good. They're coming back. Yeah, Underdoll or Scamato, which one we got to go with? Underdoll, yeah. we're calling you Underdoll, Chris. We're calling you Chris. That's yeah. what we're doing. Uh, <laughs> Deal with that. <laughs> um, all right, so Staying Alive, written by DJ Khaled, Drake. And Lil Baby and the Bee Gees actually got writing credits on it too. How? <laughs> it's pretty wild. The Wait, did, did they're, they they're, really get it? Yeah, yeah. Right, because they used it as a chorus. They, yeah. They used the oh, wow. they used the two words "staying alive." Yeah, yeah. That's ridiculous. They got credit, but it's like two of them are dead also, so it's kind of like a weird. What? Uh, <laughs> um, and then it's produced by Nyan and Tim Subi. I don't know who any of those people are, but what did you guys think of the song? Um, I thought it's a nice little club banger. I mean, it's Drake. Yeah. So, like, it's always going to be popular. Um, I did time it. Uh, it might be the world record for how long it takes uh, DJ Khaled to say his name on a DJ Khaled song. Yeah. 28 seconds. 28, <laughs> 28 seconds. Yeah. You can go back and wow. fact check me on that one. But overall, uh, it's all right. They had a fade out. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Yeah. That's because it's like a DJ song, so they want to, like, you know, put it together or something. I don't really Remix know. It. But I hate fade outs and songs, lazy writing. But I don't, I, I don't hate this song, but, like, it's just kind of just 
What did you think, Chris? Did you know. get a chance to listen to it? No, I'll be honest. I saw Drake, and I was like, I'm not putting that in my ears. I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Right? Okay. So, um, what does what DJ Khaled do? I'm, no, I'm, in the song. In the song. I'm very curious myself. Because it said it wasn't produced by him, but no, it, was it was written it was by written, him? Yeah, he's got a writing credit. He, well, I, maybe what? he wrote the chorus or something. I don't know. But he didn't um, write the chorus. He, the Bee Gees wrote the chorus. Well, no, the, they took one line from a Bee Gees song. Like the most and, famous Bee Gees song. But, but like, there's other parts of the chorus. It's not just the one line. You know what I mean? Yeah. He probably wrote that line and then was like, "Yeah, but someone was probably like, you can't just use that line. You gotta give credit to people. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what the process. I don't know what the process was, but um, I don't know. I'll say lyrically, I thought it was a little boring. It's just about like a relationship that changes because of their status. Is that what it's about? Yeah, I thought like, it was just about banging. I that's what it's kind of like vague <laughs> and unclear as to what the perspective it's is. Just is banging it like, and then passing some chick around to the other writers of the song. Yeah, I know between Little of, Baby and Drake <laughs> is what right. I I put it together. So he, I that's the most adorable name ever. <laughs> little baby, little baby. Um, <laughs> so I'm gonna I, get shot up. I will sure. also say that um, I wasn't a big fan of the auto tune thing when T Pain came out. Like, started making it like a like a mainstream. I like auto tune. That's one thing that we don't have in common. Yeah. Um. So I don't. But it I sounds weird over rap. Well, here's the thing: as I didn't like it when T Pain started doing it, uh, like as a mainstream thing, like back in like what, like oh eight, oh seven, oh eight, and then I liked it even less when um Lil Wayne started doing it. Uh, it like shortly after that as a rapper. And I hate it even more now that it's like in, in every pop like popular rap song. Sounds so good though. It drives me up a wall, and I, and I get that there's the, like the tedious nature of making auto tune work, and you know whatever. Like I, I understand that there's a process there. Um, I can't stand the end result of that process. I hate the term auto tune because it's a fucking vocoder, and that's the what they should be called. Because auto tuning is what they use in the studio to make you sound like you're in tune. They're also using that same effect though to, to get this. They're not using a vocoder. Are, are you talking thing. about like a like that T Pain style auto tune? Yeah. yeah. No, that is one that is 100% actually auto tune. Like it, there's it's it's been noted that T Pain goes around and tells people that it's a vocoder when it's straight up not. Oh really? Well, yeah. No, he's straight up. Yeah, he. Used Used to tell it, but it is auto tune. So, it, so, so, so they are different things. The, yeah. Yes, the original okay. sound. So I was right about yeah, that. Anyways, the, the original sound that like T Pain style is just it's Antares auto tune, um, and you just set, there's like essentially a setting that determines like how fast it goes between each note as it's auto tuning. Oh. And if you set it to zero, it just immediately jumps, and it gives you that weird robotic. Da -da 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 -da. Yeah, like that, that's how. It works. Yeah, it's dope as shit. I love it. Yeah, it, it's it's whatever. Like it, it does it. Like I get what T Pain was doing, and it was I'm like, a big Dad Punk fan though. So, well, I, I I get what like T Pain was doing and trying to. You know, he was making like his unique stamp on music, and it's fine. Uh, it's just when they started using it in rap, I I really. I just I can't get into it, and I and I hate it's weird. It's I a hate little, it even more weird. now. Yeah, and, and here's the thing: is like when you listen to Drake's verse, like at, at least the words that he's saying you can kind of he's not of the mumble rap era drake is like from when we were in high school he's from the hotline bling era <laughs> so it's like his his verse probably comes out a little bit more cohesive and, and coherent in general i don't know what the fuck little baby's trying to say i read the, time. the lyrics no so did i that's yeah. that but it's just like not even just lyrically is he mumbling the stuff but it's also like, i don't like like the cohesiveness or the coherence of the, what he's actually trying to say is Give more vague. Give him a break. He's just a little he's, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Um, so stupid. So anyways. Uh, <laughs> Love it or hate it. 
I I mean <laughs> the the product the, the I hate pro- you, Billy. Oh, oh, fucking get out of my goddamn house! How about that? <laughs> <The> <laughs> produce your own podcast. Oh, we saw how that went. Oh, <laughs> guess what? I did it for two years before you. Catch you later. Anyways, uh, the production <laughs> the, the production of the song overall, I thought was. Uh, Fine. There was no beat. Nothing about the production that really stuck out or made it like. I don't think interesting. we should start start talking about the production anymore because like that's like applauding a fish for swimming at this point. If you fuck that up, like ah, come well, we, on. Well, because there's there's some production like techniques that are cool and like and that, that really added the song. There was all nothing right. about this that, that stood out to me at all. Yeah. So overall, I would say no. The song I did not like it at all. And it was. Would you say it was at number five on the it, it, it topped billboard? it topped out at number five on the billboard charts and which now is it's wild. and now it's on its way out uh, and w- i've been seeing a lot of that actually uh, that from these billboards we're just seeing them on the on the way out the, yeah we, we haven't gotten one that's on the way up yet right it's hard yeah but at least it's on there yeah um, well yeah it was at number five so number five that's pretty and wild. okay going back one more time what does dj kyle do again uh, he probably wrote the hook or something i don't know he's got writing credits on it so but what does he do though he wrote the hook. I don't know. All right, whatever. <laughs> like, I just want to figure out what he does. Made the beat. Did, yeah. But did he make the beat? If he made the beat, he made the beat. That's cool. Idea. Probably not. He, he I mean, you did say he said his name, right? I Twenty-eight mean, seconds. Kind of a big deal. Yeah. Twenty-eight seconds in, he waited. Man. He waited a little bit. That right there. That's is twenty-eight a... seconds of anticipation, and then you finally get it, and you're like, yes. You know it's gonna happen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think I want... at this point, he just brings status. Like that's that, all. It all is. it is is he says his name and instantly, a, like at least a million people and are going to listen fine. to it, and that's and that's what he gets paid but for. But what if we're wrong and he's a fucking genius and he like wrote everything? No, that's not. I mean, it could be. Have but you I don't seen know. the video of him playing acoustic guitar? No. Yeah, he's pretty good, right? Yeah, he's not a genius. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I've, seen, I've seen that's really bad. <laughs> uh, that, that's the only reason why I think this song got to number five. There was nothing inter- like there was nothing musically or talent-wise that got it to where it was. It was just you had Drake, Lil Baby, and DJ Khaled on a track together. The big three. And that's that's the only reason why I got to number five. It well, sounds like every other song I've heard from either of the any of these artists for the last like you know eight years probably. Yeah, like, totally. It's just like I feel like I'm like oh yeah this song probably like this you could have told me this song came out five years ago. And but I does DJ you. Khaled have songs? Or like, did he write any he, of them? He 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 makes He's a lot got of beats. Twelve albums. He makes. He has twelve albums. He makes a lot of beats. Yeah. He probably writes hooks. Does he write? He probably helps. Does write. he? Yeah, I don't know. You're just cool. you just think he does. I know that he makes beats for sure. Then did he make the beat of this song? I I he wasn't named as a producer, so I don't know. That's fucking wild. Yeah. I how did how did they land that? That's the best gig on the planet. Just scream your name every thirty seconds. He, I mean, little little John's the king of that. He kind of started it, but at the same time, like DJ Khaled, he, uh, he doesn't even say anything funny. He just says his name. He's he's got his own work ethic. That that dude is not lazy. You know what I mean? I never like, said he was lazy. Yeah, he he works hard. You know what I mean? But yeah, all he has to do is just shout his name on a on a, on a song, and it and it just goes number one in the charts. Damn, dude, it's pretty insane. Yeah, fucking. It's dope. like Pitbull too. Like every time I'm in the gym, like every third song I hear, this is worldwide, and yeah. it's like, oh, this is Pitbull. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, talk about a marketing genius there. He was Mr. Three Hundred Five because he's from Miami, <laughs> and then he's changed to Mr. Worldwide. It's just like that was. I don't, th- I don't know what the foresight was on that, but he crushed that. <laughs> like that was a smart yeah, move. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think he should have worked his way up. Like be Mister like Florida, and then <laughs> he, be Mister Southeast. 
United States. <laughs> yeah, Southeast United and States. And then be Mr. North America and then Mr. Worldwide. He kind of skipped a couple steps. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's uh it's and being from South Florida, like that first album that came out, the MIAMI, which He's from South Florida? The acronym for my from Money is a major issue. He had some bangers on that album. That was that was a, that was a good one. Subjective, for sure, for sure. If you're not if you're not from Miami, you're not gonna like get the references. So it's like it doesn't hit the same way. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like not being from Jacksonville and not listening to Freebird every day. <laughs> no, that's all. Everyone loves that song for some reason. Um, anyways, oh my god. Uh, so, uh, anyways, for that song, for uh, staying alive, thumbs down, one hundred percent on the playlist. Not going on. Real quick before we wrap it up, how many plays did it get on Spotify? Just curious, for the folks at home. I would say well over. Oh, you oh, you want to bet over under? I would say over over five hundred million. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say one point six billion. Really? Yeah. Huh. We're, we're both right then. We're both right if that's the case. No, I'm just like guessing. <laughs> I don't know. It's a crazy guess. If, a, if Anton gets it before you, you're fired. <laughs> <laughs> How much was it, Chris? I'm looking at 207 million. Oh, uh, 207 million. Okay, so we're both wrong about that. Yeah. Either way, it's still fucking numbers that nobody here has put up. <laughs> so <laughs> we can't <laughs> totally judge too hard. But, uh, anyways, um, all right, so let's wrap that section up. We moved on over it, off the playlist, yeah. not happening. Let's get back to some real music, some real good music anyways. Displace, you guys got a bunch of shit going on. Let's talk about um, what's been going on over the last few years and what's kind of led you up to this point now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we dropped the first album. We dropped the second album. Uh, our, our old guitar player, Sam Dobkin, uh, left to go become the uh, Mr. Worldwide uh, in his own way, uh, Trivecta. He's a super incredible EDM producer. He actually just played EDC last weekend, which wow. is like really dope, man. Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. He's, it's so cool, man. I'm so proud of him. So stoked for him. Like it's, it's really great. So, um, yeah. And pretty much after, uh, after he left, we were like a three piece band for a little while and functionally just like rotating or, uh, displacing guitar players, if you will. Um, and then somewhere, I don't know, we were sort of a three-piece outfit for a couple years. And then 2019, um, I actually, we actually had a pretty significant event where Tucker and Vinny, who'd kind of been like, they were kind of like done, like, and they kind of had been for like a long time. And then they just kind of made it official. Um, and so I started rehearsing with Evan Tebow, who's my longtime buddy, and um, we played in bands together. Um, but nothing like crazy serious. He came from a metal band called Akeldama that like toured Europe and stuff. Um, definitely very strong gent metal background. It was my roommate for a long time. We used to like teach together also. He's a super awesome dude. Um, <clears throat> and, and then also, I don't know if you guys know Chris Barbosa. Um, he plays violin and keyboards yeah. and all kind of really great stuff. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I know him. <laughs> Yeah, so pretty much like 2019, um, I kind of started focusing on, like I bought a house and like kind of was trying to get my school together and all this stuff. I had a lot going on, um, which I'll totally give you guys a tour in a minute because it's pretty dope. Hell yeah. But uh, um, yeah, so we pretty much started writing and I had all these ideas in my head and I had this idea of like a double concept EP that was kind of going to build off of the previous two albums. And um, we started jamming them out together. And 
as I said, like the, the process is very much collaborative. Like I have an idea of what, like the way something might go and then maybe it doesn't or whatever. Um, and there were a lot of parallels with some things that I was experiencing um, in my life at the time. Um, I did have to move abruptly out of my old uh, house and I was kind of in this like really rough spot and I, cause I do teach out of my house. So, you know, suburban soccer moms aren't gonna drop their kid off of some sketchy apartment. Like there's, there's, you know, you gotta have a like reasonably nice-ish house. And so obviously I couldn't afford one on a musician's, you know, wages. And so it helped to have roommates, but the paradox was who's gonna be roommates with a guy that's got, you know, kids coming in and out of the house making loud racket at all hours of the night. So, right, right. Um, so it was a rough time. And then my family kind of stepped up and like, all right, we're gonna help you get a house. And I thought I was going to get this one, and I was, like, super stoked on it. And we were going to go look at it the next day on a Friday. And I'll never forget it because Thursday night, my realtor messages me, and she's like, hey, did you, like, go with someone else to buy your house? Because, like, it's on the market. And I was like, no, like, no. So anyway, I was all bummed out, and I go, this house had just been on the market, like, that day, and I was able to scoop it up, turn it into a studio and all this stuff. Um, and so... I had been in this like really impossible sort of hopeless situation and um, the music I was writing at the time very much reflected that. And I didn't ramble too much about it, but long story short, the second album, Undertow, is sort of about having recently had that light bulb moment and then it kind of carrying you off. Like if you can imagine in this sort of massive psychedelic uh, Archimedes, you know, with the, the water overflowing from this massive tub and it's this giant tide and you're just kind of riding it to these really cool places. Um, but for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And so the tide might take you to these cool places, but inevitably the undertow will come and kind of like suck you away from such as life. It's like a sine wave. There's positive and negative and they more or less even out, I think. And so at the end of the second album, Undertow, it sort of culminates in a descent into madness in the form of the song, The Flight of Admiral Archibald. And it's sort of existing in these two worlds where they're sort of growing and, and feeding each other until they feed on each other and like cannibalize each other. And so sort of grappling with this, like, is this working out? Is this not? And, and maybe it's like a dream, like a relationship or a, a dream job or whatever it is. And so when the third album starts, um, so the, the double concept EP is called Accidental Necessity. And that's kind of where I was when I started writing with them in 2019, which we pretty much like hammered this out in like a year. It was ridiculous how fast it all popped out. And so it starts with like the first song, Redefine. It's sort of, it's, it's, there's this bandage that's the only thing that's holding you together. But, um, and you know that you need to rip it off, but if you do, you might fall apart. And so the second song, Caverns, is sort of inspired by underwater cave diving. And so if you can imagine, I don't know if you've ever seen videos of it, it's actually pretty inspiring. Like you watch people floating through these like beautiful underwater things where they're kind of like half dead the whole time because if they freak out or panic, they can kick up silt and blind themselves. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and unlike with like open water scuba diving, you can just float to the top. Like you can't do that. And, you know, and so it sort of is a parallel for this, the deep recesses of like your subconscious and wandering for this like answer. And then the third track, Crippling Self-Doubt, is pretty self-explanatory. Um, it's the sound of a panic attack, basically. And then the fourth song, Last of Their Kind, is the probably the heaviest shit we've ever done. It's like a straight up like metal song. It's something Umphreeze would do, and I'm super stoked about it. It's the most non-displaced song we've ever put out, and I'm like all about it. And um, it gets pretty dark and heavy. I scream on it a little bit. Like it's like weird, man. I love it. And uh, it's, it's in seven, so we have like a bunch of songs in five, six, seven, like odd meters, really funky stuff. It's just dark and twisted. 
the next song, Scarecrow, which is the single we just dropped, and it's a it's uh, inspired by a scarecrow that's in love with a crow and sort of just being hopelessly drawn to this thing that your very nature is designed to repel. And then the song Rabbit is sort of something that it's a little heavy, I think, for artists, but um, it, it was inspired by, duly inspired by Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd. Um, but also, <laughs> I don't know if you guys have ever, have you ever seen the show Westworld? Oh, yeah. I love that yeah. show. So season one, episode five, Dr. Ford, I don't know, I'm not, I don't think I'm spoiling anything. Um, season one, episode five, Dr. Ford delivers this monologue, and it's really wild. And he talks about how his parents had adopted this, like, retired racing greyhound. And this greyhound had been conditioned to just run in circles its entire life, chasing this piece of felt, uh, felt made to look up like a rabbit. And so he takes it to the park one day, and his parents are like, hold on tight, because that thing's fast. And he, the dog sees a real rabbit for the first time in his life. And so he breaks free from the leash, bolts after this rabbit, and to the shock and horror of everyone at the park, finally catches this rabbit and just rips it apart, tears it to shreds, and then just kind of stares down looking at it like, shit, like, now what do I do? And I feel like that's what I did as a musician, sort of coming out of college, thinking like, oh, what now? Like, there was always this, like, next step. Like, you, you know, you leave elementary you go to middle you leave middle you go to high school you leave high school you go to college like and then there's just this what do I do you know and then sort of like living the dream you know I'm playing seven gigs a week I'm still broke as shit I couldn't be working harder and I'm like really depressed and like grappling with this sort of you know is this really what I wanted to be a musician you know like this is a hard life you know and I think everybody's at some point will come to that sort of realization and just you know, this sort of doubt and like, man, like I, I was chasing this thing my entire life so much that it became my very identity and the fiber of my being. Like, you can't see me without thinking of music. You know, this is who I am. It's what I am. And I don't even know what that is anymore. You know, and that's what Rabbit's about. And then uh, the last song, Saving Myself, is just sort of um, starting to like knowing that you're not okay, but sort of starting to appreciate that maybe you will be, you know, and that things maybe like all this crap that you went through like kind of needed to happen. Um, and so that's the first, that's the third album, Accidental. And then the second half, I promise things get brighter and it's like, you know, typical displaced like indie rock, funk fusion stuff again. Um, but this, this next album is like really dark and twisted and, and it's basically the sound of 2020. And I think that as, as shitty as 2020 was, I think there was some good that came from it for some people who were, you know, I had a lot of friends that got, like, drunk seven nights a week and just spent 12 hours a day on social media screaming at people, and I don't think that did a good goddamn thing for anybody. And then I have some friends that, like, got clean. You know, they started going to the gym and eating right and, like, working out and, like, taking care of themselves. And if you were open to keeping, you know, to improving yourself and improving the world around you when you went through all that stuff, like, some people came out better. And um, anyway, that, that's what that record sort of does is I don't think that you can properly appreciate just like a sine wave, like, you can't properly appreciate the positive unless you know what the negative is. Like, you, the worst thing that's happened to you is the worst thing that's happened to you. You know what I mean? And whether that is, like, your best friend of, your lifelong best friend dying in a horrific motorcycle accident, or, like, oh, someone told you no in Starbucks and now you're freaking out on them because you're a, you know, upper middle class soccer mom with no problems. You know, like, the worst thing that's happened to you is the worst thing that's happened to you. And that is the the foundation on which you will base your highs and lows on that. And then your highest high and low and low in that range is how you have a frame of reference for what your reality is. And so accidental necessity is sort of about appreciating that dark, heavy shit and appreciating how it helps you appreciate the light 
awesome stuff. And that's the necessity part. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%, man. I love that. <laughs> I mean, it's so, it's cool that you're able to kind of think about things uh, at that level and then kind of make it, in, like, make them into songs. You know what I mean? Because, like, there's, obviously, there's got to be, like, a, distil a distillation process that happens between the full concept and then how do we make it work in, in this context? And so I'm curious mm. as to... Uh, what the you know m musically what the writing process was like and then also lyrically what that writing process was like you know yeah yeah sure musically um this is kind of my favorite part actually as i said i had like an idea of and it's it's actually still on my whiteboard and there's seven songs on accidental seven on necessity and as we were kind of jamming i would have these ideas and i'd throw them out to the guys and sometimes they just didn't stick and it was like we just all weren't feeling it no one could really make it work and so um there were times where I would, you know, I would record like a scratch, like drum, bass, guitar, piano, like sort of vocal thing with no words over it. It sounded really weird. And I'd be like, this is kind of what I'm thinking. Um, what do you think? And then sometimes they'd be like, cool, but let's make it better. Like, let's make it not shitty. And then they did. And then sometimes it just, you know, we would be, you know, in between jamming or whatever, or like warming up, doing a sound check. And then, you know, I'd be getting the inputs set and then Barbosa would just play this like killer piano riff and then they're jamming and I'm, I just hit record and I'm like, what was that? Like, let's write that. And so actually a good chunk of the songs on this record were we actually removed ideas that I had and replaced them with songs that we organically kind of wrote together. Actually, that happened on several of the songs. I mean, Crippling Self-Doubt was our old bass player Nate's original composition that he just sort of like wrote on the spot with us and we developed as a band. Um, Last of Their Kind was a song that Barbosa had had in seven, and we we're like, that's so cool. And a lot of the stuff on the next record actually contains material from like Daryl McGowan, like D Truth, our, our new bass player. Um, he wrote the song Forgive and Forget, and we're just, I had an idea there, and he's like, what he had was so much cooler. He's like, nah, it's, fuck my shit, man. Let's throw yours in there. Like, this is beautiful, you that's know? That's awesome. Um, so it's very much a collaborative thing, man. Even if I had like an idea that was like, here's what I'm thinking. There was, there's not a single song on that record that I can say that I wrote all of, like not, not even close. I mean, Evan would say like, yeah, okay, let's put some hits there. Or like even, well, you guys know how it is when you're jamming something, like over time it evolves and like hits develops and accents and whatnot. Um, like lines kind of happened and then we we're like, oh, let's make that a unison thing or, or whatever it was. It was very much a, like every single song is a collaborative um, endeavor for sure. It's, it's that process was really special. And I, I will say, I think that that's something I was really craving for a long time that I wasn't, um, I, I wasn't getting it, I would say, I guess in the past, and now I am. And, and that makes me grateful, you know, for, for what I have now. And, and also it makes me grateful for what I didn't have back then, you know? Um, and I think that that's sort of the most powerful part of the whole experience. And you can copy paste what I just said to any number of experiences, whether it's a former relationship or a job or whatever, like, there's some shit that you have to go through to help you understand like what you have in this moment. Or maybe you're going through some shit in this moment and it'll help you to appreciate what's going to happen later on in, in those other moments. So right. um, anyway. What, so. It's, uh, I'm curious as to what, if, if you, when you have kind of uh, the perspective of, of obviously like writing now versus writing back then and kind of going through the growing pains of, of cycling through musicians and like forming new relationships I'm curious, what's kind of been the learning process for you and, and the whole thing? Obviously, as a band, I know you don't. It sounds like you don't like the term band leader, but it kind of is what it is uh, when mm -hmm. you know the, the thing kind of revolves around around what you're doing. Um, 
what's kind of in the learning curve for you about like, I guess, communicating with different artists and figuring out like what the right writing circumstances are based on each mm. personality and stuff. Like how do you, how have you kind of navigated that, that terrain? Um, I think, yeah, a big part of it is just decoding personalities because different people speak different languages, even if we're all speaking English, you know. And so sometimes you might be with someone who, for example, doesn't really communicate what they're actually feeling like ever, or maybe they can write it down, but they can't say it to your face. And so if you're not of the, if you don't recognize and understand that, you will mistake, you know, if they tell you everything's okay, but it's really not, and they're giving you obvious cues that it's not, but if you're not able to pick up on them, like that's going to cause some friction. Um, and so, or, or, I mean, there's a ton, ton of other examples, I guess I could think of some people are more direct and whatever. And so, so a big challenge, I think, um, is learning how people really communicate and not listening to necessarily what they're saying, if they are less direct and sort of listening to what they're inferring or what they're saying without saying, um, and so for, I don't have to do that now. Uh, and I think that I'm, I'm a lot, uh, I'm just kind of dumb. I'll just perfectly honest. I'm very dumb. I'm just, I'll just, that's what it is. And that's on me, man. And that's something I've learned is I'm just not very smart with a lot of things, man. I'm really not. And I'm totally down to say that Tell I'm also it. an asshole, you know? Yeah. So, uh, sometimes I can be, man. I just, and I don't even realize that I'm just being one. And, and, um, I think I need, for me personally, I need people to be like, oh, dude, you're actually being a, uh, you know, a jackass. Like, I'm like, oh, yeah, shit, you're like actually right. Like, I'm usually pretty good if you point it out to me, which I think is actually a product of growing up in the American public education system with multiple choice questions. If the answer is presented within a series of non-answers, I'll be like, oh, that's the one. But fill in the blank, I got nothing. Yeah, you know, so totally, <laughs> totally that. So, <laughs> yeah, so, so that's the thing, and I think it's just being able to, to – find people who are on the same page also that really want to create and write. And, and, um, you know, everybody's going through different phases of their life. And when, if you, if one member, for example, is, is really into like writing and like, let's, let's make this our focus. Like I've got things in my head that need to come out, but maybe another member is like, I could take or leave that. You know, I don't really need that to express myself musically. I just need to make, you know, to play songs. Um, maybe that's like, even if it's just cover stuff, like I have plenty of people that are totally content with that. And I was too for years and I still can sometimes, you know, I'm still playing music. It's a paycheck, keeps the lights on, you know? Um, so some people like to make original music. They don't like to travel in a van for 12 hours and go on the road and everything that comes with that, you know? So, so to be able to get, you know, people who are all on the same page as you at the same time as you. And also understanding that those pages are turning and time is turning, you know, and, and moving and, and things are just constantly changing. You have to either adapt and grow or maybe you guys grow apart or whatever it is. And that's why lineups change all the time, you know. Um, so, yeah, as far as the, the current status, it, it seems like we've all kind of landed, at least in, at this point in time, on the same page. We're all kind of like, OK, writing's our main focus, like putting music out is our main focus. Um, we're down to go on the road, you know, which we have some dates coming up next year, which I'm pretty stoked about crossing state lines again. And um, Can you announce them? Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm not a doctor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going to be in, uh, we'll, be in <laughs> we'll be in Asheville at the end of January. It's going to be pretty cool. Uh, Where are you guys going to be The last at? weekend of January. Uh, I'm really dumb, and uh, so we're going to be at uh, Highland Brewing Friday, January 27th, and we'll be at One World Brewing Saturday, 
January 28th. And then we will be at Sweetwater Brewing in Atlanta on January 29th. Hell yeah. So, High, Highland's a dope spot. We played there last year. Is that the one that's the big one that's outside? Yeah, like the yeah. Meadow stage. It used to be, it used to be a, uh, a film studio, actually. Was it really? Yeah. Oh, whoa. I didn't know that. You didn't read the back of the menu? No, I didn't look at the menu. No, at I'm all. sorry. I, I could have I made that way funnier. You didn't read the napkin dispenser? <laughs> no. I didn't. All right, anyways. But, but yeah, it's awesome. It's, it's going to be a little cold, cold in January. It's going to be outside, but it, they have a huge yeah. stage inside, too. Yeah. It's 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 a dope venue, though. And which which Westworld are you, or Westworld, which uh, One World are you playing? The West Asheville or downtown? I think it's the West Asheville one. Yeah, that's that's so. a good. That's I mean, that's a good one. The other one's in the basement. Great, they're great locate. They're both great locations. But uh, the West Asheville one is is definitely it's better. Uh, it's outdoors and it's like a, a different vibe. It's it's less of a touristy vibe and more of like a of a family like. And it's not in a basement. Music, yeah, it's not a. It's but yeah, you just get more music appreciators there. I think than the downtown location, which gets like you know wedding parties and tourists that mm, just want to hear. Yeah, I got you. Know, you. Uh, brown-eyed girl which by the way what about it th- there was nothing nothing funnier not to like completely derail just a little fun fact about that song we were playing a gig the other night and we just got done like crushing a jam it was a really good jam that we were that we were doing I had a great show and uh, yeah it was a fun show yeah i know and uh this lady walks up to us and just like just so uh confidently and while also dismissing what we just did just this kind of air of like I don't care who you are. Play brown eyed girl. And then she kept like, <laughs> and it just like walks away as she said it. Like, we're just going to play it at that. She just knew like, she had just pressed play <laughs> in the jukebox so confidently. And I was like, we don't do that song. And she was like, Oh, you don't. They got like really like annoyed by it. And I was like, and the, the guy oh, starts wow. making a little face about it. And I was like, well, yeah, we don't do that song. And just like nothing gave me more pleasure in that moment than to tell her that because of how, um, at her disposal, she just felt that we were in that moment. Mm. I was like, fuck you, lady. <laughs> wow. And anyways, um, those venues are dope. You guys are going to have a lot of fun there, I'm sure. Yeah, man. Cool. And I, I'm so sorry if you if you said this and I, I skipped over it with my ADHD rattled brain, but did you say the, the, the album that you were talking about, The Necessity and, uh, uh, oh, my God, I already forgot the other part of it. Is that coming out soon or is that already out? Uh, yeah, so we've been dropping pretty much a single a month for okay, yeah, right. since since September, and then the album actually comes out on December sixth, which is the day before my birthday. So it's it's like the best release ever. Oh, so I'm pretty yeah. stoked. And this podcast, yeah. I think, comes out what uh, December second, Chris? Is that what we said? Second. Yeah, so uh, dope. This will be perfect timing to help uh, yeah. uh, advertise, hopefully, a little marketing oh, stuff for you guys. I'm so stoked. Hell yeah. Yeah, our, our, actually, uh, our album release show is Saturday, December 10th at the Crowbar in Tampa. That's going to be a good time. That's going to be yeah, really man. good. Hell yeah. Yeah. What, um, yeah, I'm very excited. <laughs> so you guys trying to take this project out on the road and, like, actually do, like, you know, I don't know if, if like, longer touring stuff is really the way to go always now, but are you guys trying to, like, kind of do the – the two weeks up and down the East Coast type situation, or what's the plan? Yeah, I, I would say that I, I've always kind of from the beginning, my my vision hasn't really changed. I don't really want to be, I mean, maybe it has. I've kind of scaled it down a little bit. I don't want to be a nationally touring band. Um, I'm not, I mean, I'm not even saying that we have the potential to do that, but I don't even want to explore it as an option. I don't want to get in the van and drive and live on the road. Like I, I did that for one summer in 2017. I was on dual tours with the hip abduction and displace. And I was only gone for like a month and a half. 
And I realized after just that month and a half, I was like, this is not for me. Like, I don't, I love being on the road. Don't get me wrong, but I miss my students. And I I love teaching. I really do. They're like, you know, I see my students more than I see my mom, my dad, my brother, uh, slightly less than I see my girlfriend. You know, they are like my, some of them are my best friends. And I've been teaching them, some of them for like eight, nine, even 10 years. A lot of them, even after they go on to graduate, you know, like I said, like evolution, like we're, we're collaborating now and he's actually started saxophone lessons with me now. And he's like an adult, you know, That's or like, awesome. um, Kayla Blackman, Cody, Cody Samuano actually just, he's up in Nashville now. He graduated from Belmont with a degree in commercial music. And we had a gig in Atlanta, our keyboard player couldn't make, and he drove over from Nashville and he was the fill in keyboardist and he did great. You know, so I, I I have these relationships with these people that start off as students and then they grow up into adults and they're like their extended family, you know, and I, I do I do miss them on the road. And I, I love the the kind of routine and stability of just, oh, on Tuesdays, you know, I'm gonna see Alley Cat, you know, like oh Thursdays at four o'clock I'm gonna see Hannah. It just kinda helps me to keep, you know, in an otherwise chaotic world, the 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 redundancy even or the routine of lessons you know at those specific days and times kind of helps me to stay grounded so i don't just drift off into you know la la land right so, um so yeah i to answer i guess yeah I, I want displaced to be no more than a regional act i'm perfectly content not going any further than north carolina and maybe not even i don't think we need to go out to colorado again i'm you know i like i'd like to cover florida and like the, the southeast you know uh I, I maybe maybe stop uh somewhere between 305 and worldwide like that next step <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. Mr. yeah i'd like us to be the the mr's southeast mr south <laughs> yeah <laughs> right that's such a great album i'm sure it, uh, pitbull's <laughs> probably thought about it. somewhere between 305 and worldwide that'll probably be like his yeah. retirement album it's called he'll be Fort like yeah. pierce he'll, he'll be <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Great city. So, <laughs> so do do you want to? I'm just I'm just always curious about this kind of stuff because like there is so much time and effort and 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 even you know money put into these uh, these projects, especially because you know we're not operating in, in New York and L.A. and Nashville where there's there's all this you know uh, label money being pumped into to projects. Most of the stuff is like self funded and like we're kind of you know, on our own timelines and setting our own deadlines and all that stuff. Do you, mm. do you, do you care to see any kind of return, um, on, on the displaced stuff and that like financially and otherwise? And if so, um, if touring isn't the route for you guys, what route do you see, uh, being like going to be the thing for you? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I, I do want to definitely tour a little bit. Like I said, like like we call them tourettes. Uh, so we want to have tourettes, and uh, we want to do like you know like ten day runs a couple times a year. Like I do still want to go out and see friends like around you know those places. Um, as far as financially, yes, it would be great to recover from this because this this thing was expensive, man. And I kind of you know I ended up fronting it kind of a lot with the school and, and it was it was a lot i don't want to do that again it'd be nice to have some help with that right. which we didn't really do a fundraiser or anything so you know we'll, maybe we'll ask with this next one i don't know um i don't really care if i fully recover from it i don't have any uh aspirations to make you know any more than fractions of pennies you know from our spotify streams um you know i, I don't that's not really as important to me to be to be honest the the main thing was i just like with inertia, with my musical, like I have ideas in my head and if they don't get out, I will go crazy. And they were locked in my head, bouncing around, rattling around the, between my ears and the space. 
empty space of my skull. And uh, <laughs> if they didn't get out, I would have gone nuts. And, and, and I want to do that with people who I love and who can, you know, do like express them in the way that they need to be expressed. Um, and, and that they feel like they've also, you know, made it their own and that we put out together. It's very important to me that that's kind of everything. So as far as the financial side, yeah, uh, it'd be nice to break even at least. Uh, that's, that's, that's a pretty, <laughs> that would take a lot of streams to be honest, but, um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's a costly thing as you said, but, um, yeah, if we, if we do cool, if not cool, um, you know, it's out at least, at least the first half is out. Um, so and then, you know, we, we do have some ideas to do like a lo-fi album. I don't know if I'm supposed to say this yet, but we're uh, after the we finished Necessity, the fourth album, we, we've been we really get into like lo-fi music and just like very poorly recorded. Like, I, I mean, I'm talking like I don't want to have like more than one mic on the on the drums and just maybe even someone's holding it in their hand. I mean, like just really DIY, like lo-fi stuff. And um, we were talking about that or maybe like a breakbeat album. Like, I don't know what we're going to do after. Um, and then if we, you know, if, if we are doing our little tours as we're doing them, um, I don't know, man, I don't like the TikTok thing. I don't like the social media thing. I really hate it. I, I do. I, I made a TikTok. I made some little videos that were fun, but, um, because I do, I, I release, I actually write, record and release original music like all the time. And I, I don't tell anybody. I make a fake name on Spotify. I mean, it's a real name. I guess it's a pseudonym. And I just release music. And I have lo-fi artist names. I have like jazz fusion stuff where I'm like drumming, playing bass, guitar, keys, sax stuff, instrumental, like acoustic guitar stuff. And I don't tell anybody about that. Nobody knows. And it's like my own little secret and it's it's beautiful. And so it, it's sort of a reaction kind of to this. Mm, it's not stupid, but it's a reaction to this social media sort of virus where as an artist, your authenticity is at stake because you're just constantly chasing, you know, oh, I got to post, I got to post, I got to make a video, I got to, you know, oh, we're doing this thing. And you're having this authentic, creative experience. And then you're like, wait, wait, wait. And then you're like, you got to do oh, the picture thing. And it's like, I don't like doing that, man. It ruins it for me. And so I actually, so much so I don't like it that I, I, I as I said, I make these like pseudonyms and it's sort of rebelling against that and nobody knows about it and it's my own like therapy it's like that's right i do this for me at the end of the day yeah. you know and i do it for some people that listen but but these these tracks here are for me and they're for me to make me to make me feel good and i don't have to feel like i need to pull out a phone every five seconds and document everything you know I so think, um so i don't think that we'll be a tiktok star basically is what I'm saying. <laughs> i think that's where it all went wrong i was just thinking about all the tiktok stuff is uh probably the first person who ever used their phone to film a fireworks display <laughs> yeah. and then ever ever since yeah. there it's just been fucking downhill yeah i, I definitely <laughs> i definitely think that that social media has um kind of watered down the artistic uh, process. There's a lot of good stuff too, and like a ton, a ton of great stuff and everything like that. But the fact that you like have to be married to it in order to be a musician really fucking blows. Yeah, I don't know. Mm -hmm. You know, the TikTok thing. I'm not sure how much you have to be married to it. I think that that's a different any, any type of it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's Instagram and Facebook. I mean, Instagram more so because it's more relevant, but it's like not as demanding. I think as TikTok is. TikTok is mm. so demanding and there's people like musicians that are younger that like have, you know, that they have like kind of, they've been growing up with this dynamic that can, or that, that context anyways, that can kind of navigate it and, and, and actually like document the recording process and then put that out as 
the content for TikTok, but then also create music that that works, you know, for them that fulfills them artistically. Um, mm. I uh, don't find that to be the case with TikTok, or, or for me, anyways. Having not grown up with that medium, it's always been like you're in the studio and you're putting your all into it all the time, and there's no distractions. And then it was like, well, now we have to document stuff with Instagram. But at least Instagram's not like we got to post four times a day. Where TikTok is like you got to do that kind of thing to, to see any real traction. And it's uh, just hearing the word algorithm makes me want to punch like like a baby in the face. <laughs> yeah, I I definitely I definitely uh, feel what you're saying about the, about the the social media thing though, and it's unfortunate that we have to kind of play the game a little bit. That's I, all I'm I, saying. I, I will say to your to, to what you're saying though, Chris, is that um, Spotify is about to remedy this thing that, that that you're talking about now because we talked about it on the news segment last week. Spotify starting a new TikTok. No, Spotify. Oh is, shit! No, I got is, that wrong. <laughs> that's good. Spotify is basically going to start charging people uh, for their pla- the, Well, the, there's talk, anyways. They're going to start charging people for um, the space on their platform if they're not hitting certain numbers because they're actually not able to keep up with uh, the cost of what of their server space basically to, to keep hosting a hundred thousand new uploads every single day. That's what they're, that's what wow. they're, and since YouTube and Apple and those, those other, uh, uh, you know, TikTok now is going to have their own streaming service. Since those companies all have other revenue sources like, you know, videos and, you know, Apple is what, what Apple is. Uh, the music is the tiniest, tiniest part of their revenue stream. So they can just allow people to upload it, whatever they want, whenever they want. Spotify has one source of revenue and that is streaming. Mm. So when there's a hundred thousand uploads every single day, it's costing them more money. And most of those streamers aren't generating anything in return. So they're actually mm. going to start charging people. They, they don't know what the number is yet. They don't even know if it's true hundred percent. It's just speculation. But uh, unless they find another source of revenue, they're going to start charging the artists to uh, keep their music on the platform, which is kind of wild. Yeah, I, wow. had, I had like a whole, they have ads. Yeah, I was about to say. I, yeah, I, I had a whole manifesto about how big of dicks they are for this. But, but ads, ads aren't the. They m- also created it, so they can do what they want with it. <laughs> ads aren't the main source of re- their revenue, and and also, um, people aren't really spending a ton of money on Spotify ads because you have to spend way too much money to see any kind of return on it. And we all know what streaming numbers do financially. There, unless you're spent, unless you're you know Taylor Swift. You're not seeing any return on on your ad spends mm. on Spotify, yeah. so it's uh it's, people are investing less and less on ad spends on Spotify. I didn't tell you that story yet, did I? What? Uh, my girlfriend really loves Taylor Swift a lot, and she's playing in Tampa, the best city on the planet, right? <laughs> and, uh, Hell yeah. So she's like, you need to sign up for the pre-sales so that you can get it, so one of us can get the the pre-sale thing. And sure enough, she didn't fucking get it, but I did. So I waited six hours on Ticketmaster today to fucking buy Taylor Swift tickets. Wow. Tampa, see, wow. You, see you soon. Uh, nice. I'll Bill- be there. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going to be there for real? Uh, like, actually, probably, yeah. I don't have a ticket, but if I can get one, yeah, I love Taylor Swift. No <laughs> shit. Well, teach their own. Oh, yeah. Uh, Billy hates Tampa and t- Taylor Swift, no. so it'll be a double it'll be double doozy for him. I, I hate Ticketmaster <laughs> more than Taylor Swift, I will say. So you hate Ticketmaster, Taylor <laughs> yeah. Swift, and Tampa. The three T's, what they call them. I don't. And uh, I don't hate. I don't hate Taylor Swift. I just hate the fact that it, it's like it's just nonsense trying to get a fucking ticket to go see her. I had to wait six hours. Will you confirm or deny that you hate Tampa? 
Uh, I fucking hate Tampa. I was gonna say you haven't you haven't answered oh, the yeah. question yet. Yeah, it's the worst city in Florida, <laughs> if not the planet. I like Tampa, so whatever. Yeah. Um, What's your favorite part? I can see why you would feel that way. It's okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know Tampa well enough to say that I have a favorite part, but I I do have enjoyed the little time that I have spent there. It's been it's my been favorite good. part is that really long bridge that gets you out of Tampa into St. Pete. St. <laughs> St. <Saint laughs> Pete is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Dunedin's yeah. awesome. Clearwater anywhere there is awesome, but yeah. All right, well, let's, let's get to our last or our last couple of segments, bottom line news and unpopular opinions uh, for bottom line news. I don't know if you got a chance to check uh, the bottom line news segment, Chris, but uh, this week we're talking about uh, nothing really super crazy, just how hard touring is becoming. I, I thought it was very interesting, that article. Oh, yeah? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, first off... Here where, we go. Where did, uh, where did Lord go? Like... She was so popular with the royal song and that whole album. I just and had then, this conversation with somebody and then, recently. And then she just like poofed and now she's like back and right before the pandemic she was going to go on tour and then like went away and then uh, uh, she's trying to do it again now and it, it's too expensive. Here's the thing is that like first off artists like Lord a lot of time don't go anywhere. It's just that Jacksonville and uh, cities alike are like sea markets and they're not hitting these cities. Cities. She's going on like a world tour, and plus she's from New Zealand too, so she's got to like fucking fly like crazy. I, I'm just saying that like Lord's still very relevant in like the major cities. She just hasn't maintained it in like smaller cities. Is all I'm trying to say. What? Second off, uh, so she's she's been relevant the whole time. She hasn't gone anywhere. She's been relevant the whole time. Is what I'm trying to say. I disagree. Okay, and then so second off, I think it's interesting listening to kind of some of the struggles that they have on. These tours, just being a smaller independent band and going on tour. Um, Wait, are you say are you you're like tongue in cheek about this? Not tongue in cheek about it. I, it's a very real struggle, and I feel for them because they have a business to to run, and yeah. and, and they have to keep you know, they have overhead, and they have like people that they employ, and there's all this stuff that they're trying to do. It's just it's great listening to, to from from our perspective where like we're worrying about like hotel rooms that we have to budget for and how we're going to eat, and their their thing is like. Well, how do we get a stage from city to city? You know what I mean? It's from just, country yeah. to country. Yeah, country to country. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's it's. I'm not like downplaying the severity of the scenario. Obviously, like they've got a status that they're trying to maintain. That's fine. It's just it's wild to me to see the like the dynamic, like just a difference in what they're what they're facing. You know, but it's crazy though. Going back to what we're saying about like, it's been a reoccurring theme on this podcast where touring is becoming more and more difficult. If you're not an artist at that level. Even if you are, and even if you are, you're struggling. But like, if you're not like selling out at least theaters, um, amphitheaters, and above that, um, it's nearly impossible to really do any any tour for any length of time. You're seeing smaller, even Umphreys is doing like you know four day runs, and they go and they're they're going back. It's like it's if you look at their schedule. It's like there's like used a, to be like yeah, like five nights a week, right? Like, and now it's like a four play five Jacksonville day. on Tuesday, hundred percent. Yeah, <laughs> and, 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 and now it's mostly weekend dates and four or five days off, and then weekend dates somewhere else. It's like yeah. they're do. It's just becoming increasingly more difficult. Ticket sales are going up, and even though Ticketmaster is like reporting the highest earnings that they've ever had, go fuck yourself. You know what I mean? Master. It's just it's it's wild right now. Like artists are getting screwed at every level. It seems like you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think in, there's inflation is that, I mean, that's the thing too. Like, I mean, my groceries at Publix have, have like, I wouldn't say doubled, but I mean, I feel it, you know, I don't have as much disposable income as I used to 
just a couple years ago. Um, yeah, this guy's shopping know, at Publix, bro. Yeah, do you got yeah, Publix yeah, money? You got Publix money, bro? Dude, Fuck. yeah, I got Publix money. Yeah. This fucking guy, bro. <laughs> yeah, we're going. You get, you get Greenwise brand, brand or what? <laughs> oh God, no! I don't know none of that. I'm borrowing uh, a quarter but, to use the buggy at Aldi. You yeah, know what I'm that's what I'm saying. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, yeah, I'm like hustling the old. You're an Aldi guy. I'm an Aldi guy. Hell yeah, yeah. you're an Aldi guy. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I didn't know that. I didn't know that about you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and we're all yeah, I feel like, like that. That's definitely part of it for sure. I mean, I think people have a lot less um, disposable income, and then, and also too um, from from my friends that do own venues like, like Tom DeGeorge from Crowbar, um, you know, he, he's been kind of sounding the alarm about that for a while. He's like, it's going to be a chain reaction because what, what happens is you have these artists that they had these routes and these venues, like let's say to get to Tampa from, I don't know, like even a band in Asheville, there's connecting venues along the way that will feed them as they get down to Tampa. Right. But if those, even if Tampa venues do okay, if all the routes aren't like connecting to get them here start to evaporate they're not going to come here anymore and so there a lot of venues did close down and a lot of established places with like built-in crowds or like the people are just sort of accustomed to going to i mean you guys probably saw it the last couple of years just venues closing down i mean i would hear about my friends posting stuff in some city in a venue i didn't know about you know but yeah we just lost like we, everyone's yeah we, what did we lose we just lost archetype oh, right now recently yeah, yep. that's true all right yeah over with matthew and preston and those guys over there uh, Connor losing their uh, spot, which is a great venue here mm-hmm. in Jacksonville. Uh, yeah, we, yeah, we we almost lost. I, mean, I don't. What, I'm not, I shouldn't say it on air. We, we there's almost several ven- venues that we lost for sure during mm-hmm. uh, during COVID. Yeah, I mean, even if there's people that are going to the shows now, the the losses are so devastating and so substantial that it'll take so long to recover. Even if they had phenomenal sales the next like couple years, right. that's how bad it was. You know, so even if yeah, they might have gotten some loans to like sort of float them maybe for like a month or so but they were screwed for like a couple years you and a know? lot so, of the, and a lot of them are having to pay back those loans because a lot of them didn't qualify for the uh for the loan relief and if you're not paying mm-hmm. payroll and everything which a lot of venues are you know we see it all the time like venues just like you know contracting bartenders you know it's like a fill-in bartender or whatever yeah, like that you yeah. know what i mean so it's i can imagine that's really difficult and you even see from, from the artist's perspective like even lord in that article is talking about how how um uh they're having to like double or triple the amount of dates that they're doing per year now because of having lost two years especially for the bigger mm-hmm. cities having sh- most places weren't like Florida we opened up after that's a few the other months. thing too because I don't like, know if they really said much about it in the article but like because they were like contracted to do those shows the shows were canceled because of COVID now they got to do it when everything's three times more expensive and not just mm, that but yeah. then they have to double up because a lot of those shows are like owed to them yeah exactly right? and then you still got to make money so you got to double up on those dates or triple on those dates so like now maybe you had a city maybe you had a year you know of 150 cities or something um, and then now you got to do like double that work in one in one year, or at least try and make up some of that, right? So you, even if it's like fifty percent of that, that's almost every single day that you're on tour. And mm-hmm. gr- granted, like artists at that level are touring much more conveniently than, than we are. However, it's still not an e- being on the road is not easy. I don't care what level you're at. Like being in a different place every day. That's not an easy lifestyle, you know. Well, maybe that's what we need. Yeah. Just make the rich people actually start losing money and struggling, and then they're like, "Oh, we should probably change." Well, the artists are the rich people. That's too, what right? I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't. I, yeah, it, that's a whole different conversation. Just yeah. Just the the idea now. I, I'm just curious as what 
because it, and even on top of that, with the way the industry has gone over the last 10 years, right? It's like we're not, they're not selling records anymore. So, so labels are recouping their, their, uh, their investment on, on live shows and merchandise sales. So artists are losing at every end now. You're not getting paid from record sales, really, because of the streaming stuff. You're, you've lost out on tour income because, first off, you had two, two and a half years where you weren't working like you were before. And not to mention a chunk of that, whereas before it wasn't going to labels because labels were recouping their, their investment on album sales. Now they're taking a piece of the tour and the merchandise, too. So artists are getting mm. like hit from every single angle here. here. So if you want to put on a show like Lord's trying to put on in any different in, in every different city, you have to travel with your own production, and it's not going to it's just it's not going to be cost effective. I can imagine, you know. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's just the the industry court sort of evolving to its next stage. So if you think back to like growing up, I remember we went to play it again video when I was a kid, and there was a little section with like uh, the the not stained glass, but where you can't see through it, and it was like pink on the inside with like the, the porno movies that you couldn't, you know, I'd like peek my head under it when I was like eight. Yeah. And, uh, that doesn't exist anymore. You know, like I remember, like, could you imagine, like, imagine someone in maybe like, I don't know the year I could be getting wrong, but maybe 2011, you have Netflix like on your phone that you can like cast to your TV. And your mom goes, what do you want to watch tonight? And you're like, oh, you know, whatever the hell. And she's like, okay, I'm going to run to Blockbuster. I'll be right back. And right. you would be like, that's such an antiquated thing. Why would you physically go to a, a location and then drive there and then, you know, deal with everything there and then come back when you could literally just push a button and have it here in your, on your screen in like beautiful HD or like 4K stunning video. And maybe that's the next, unfortunately, the next step. I mean, cause a lot of my kids, man, they don't know, you know, they don't watch TV. I mean, I haven't had cable since 2008. And, you know, I know that the way my parents do things, I, I look at it and I think it's just so antiquated. Like what, you have commercials? Like what? Like yeah, what is that, you know? Totally. And so maybe this is the next thing. It's like what, you drive to go see a concert? Like I just put some goggles on, the sound's amazing. And I'm sitting in my living room. Like why would you physically go? Like what, when's the last time you went to like a movie theater? Like, do you just watch Netflix or would you drive out to the movies? I do and go maybe to the theater the next still. Form. I still go to the Theater, I know, I, I do. Say. Yeah, I saw that everything everywhere all at once in theaters. With awesome. Emily. It was incredible. Oh, yeah. it's so good. Well, so I will still, because yes, it is an experience, but but what happens in like five, ten years when like the average home theater system is so good, you know, that you don't really need to, you know? And um, and maybe we do because we're conditioned to do that, but like the kids growing up now, like they don't really go to the movies. They're Thank just, you. oh, well, we're going to watch a movie, you know? So this is, this so, is actually, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. You want to finish that, that thought? Uh, I guess that's the thing I, I guess I was getting at is like what we're talking about with this. I, I did peep this article and, you know, she's talking about touring and how difficult it is. And meanwhile, we're sitting here crying about this and there's TikTok stars that are like millionaires and they just have their phone and they just, you know, uh, maybe that's the next evolution is and maybe we're just kind of we're so used to like high quality audio because I don't listen to Nugs audio and soundboards either. I'm a I like studio quality audio, Same. but the kids that have grown up watching like YouTube stars, you know, with literally with camera phone audio, like they're accustomed to that sort of sound and that's going to be the new thing. And so anyway, that's where I think things are kind of headed, unfortunately. So I um, for sure on that, because here's the other thing uh, is that we had a we had an article uh, that we were talking about a few weeks ago. It's about uh, this platform called Roblox and uh, how they're merging with a are you familiar with this? 
One of my students actually, he produced the audio for a game on Roblox that's coming out next month. I'm freaking out about that's it. That's wild. Yeah. I mean, but that's how accessible this is. This is the kind of user generated content that TikTok is kind of, Roblox is obviously before TikTok, but TikTok is kind of ushering this in on a mass scale now. And I think we're going to see a lot more people on Roblox kind of doing the same thing. But what's happening is that there's this, uh, I can't remember the name of the company right now. It's slipping in my mind. There's a Brazilian company right now that, uh, d that designed uh, graphics for games and, and, and whatever. And they're, uh, they're now um, signing a deal with Roblox about doing these virtual music festivals, these continuous music festivals, where basically you put on the goggles, you walk in, you're having not just the music, but like the, the human interaction and also like the games that you play at festivals and the buying merchandise. You get the full-on experience in this virtual world. And I think... Mm -hmm that because of the way that touring is becoming just not practical anymore, and especially artists at that bit, like they're signing deals with major artists right now to do, to, to do like the first uh, iterations of this. And to your point, like, like we may not be buying to this idea totally right now, but the next generation of kids who are on these platforms are gonna grow up with this alternative and not have to like go into the real world and i think that the bigger artists are just going to take to it immediately because their you know uh demographics are like the 18 to 25 year old kids and then even earlier than that a lot of the time so those people are going to be adapting much quicker to that than we will i think they're just going to be like well what do we need to tour for we're selling virtual tickets to a virtual festival or even to a virtual like iHeartRadio has a similar thing with Roblox right now where they have like iHeartRadio land and it's just they have like concert venues and like, you know, uh, not a, a Rob Thicke uh, and people like that or uh, Charlie Puth, like people are signing deals left and right to put on concerts at these virtual venues. You just buy a ticket to the concert and then you watch the and not to mention like like the idea of residual income from every like specific show after the fact, right? right? You can sell these experiences after they already happened. So the, so the amount of income possible from that too. I think people are gonna look at touring and just be like, why? There's no point. Yeah. In 10 years, And there's gonna not be gonna be, and imagine there's no capacity either. Like you could sell an unlimited number of tickets. It's not gonna be as that, what is that Trevor or whatever the right. hell, that guy, he had like a concert and it like had too many people there. He oversold tickets and people oh, died. Oh, like Travis Scott. Yeah, you're not going to have a Travis Scott situation in a digital event when everybody's in their homes, you know. Right, the capacity so, for 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 like li the literal capacity of the show, like the, like like the the roof is going to be way higher. Or the ceiling will be way mm -hmm. higher for that. Yeah. It'll be yeah. It'll, it'll be just about the amount that your server can handle basically. And then that'll be yeah. that'll be the ceiling for it. Yeah. You know, that's And imagine like imagine the sound being perfect wherever you're at. You know what I mean? Like when I go to a festival, sometimes I got to you got to like fight to get to like the sweet spot which is usually near, near the sound booth but obviously there's going to be people on the left or right side of the speakers or whatever like imagine with like spatial audio too like, i don't know if you've experienced that with like the apple airpods yeah um man i got my girlfriend some of those for christmas and like when you turn your head it's like the sound is over here i mean imagine yeah. that at a concert they're, experience like that would be cool you know they're gonna do it they're gonna they're gonna get to a point where you can literally like look to, like like you'll be standing next it, it won't be like these uh not uh, what do you call it? like these avatars it won't be avatars it'll be an actual physical representation of the i'm not saying right now but like five mm -hmm. years from sure, now yeah. 10 years from now it'll be like you're looking at a person you can smell the smells you can like feel the humidity at swanee you know like you can you'll be able to fully experience it'll be a fully immersive experience with a bodysuit or something you know what i mean 
It's just, it's going to happen. And then artists like us are going to ha- are going to be forced to tr- try and figure out where our niche is in that world. Maybe, maybe, you know, like the smaller festivals kind of buy space in these virtual places and they try, you know, they're, they're I don't know what, I don't know what the outcome is, but I think that, I think that we're screwed on the touring front, which sucks. I love touring, but like, I think well, that it's just an opinion in yours. Yeah, no, I'm just, I'm just saying, and it's just speculation. And I, yeah, I don't think anything that you're saying uh, couldn't happen. Yeah, but I just, I don't think people are gonna get rid of the actual touring. I think if anything, it's gonna be an added feature, but I don't think it's gonna replace stuff. You don't think so? No, not at all. Maybe not, not, not right away. I don't think it will, but I think ultimately it will. Which is, I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm I don't just, think it'll replace it ever. What do you think, Chris? It'll be, it'll, it so, exists, but I won't replace it. That's all I'm trying to say. Sorry, I zoned out for a second. I was making sure the guys are. Uh, I'm. We're. We're not gonna. We're got like 15 minutes to rehearsal. Sorry, I was. I was checking that. Oh, Can no you worries. check me back in real quick. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're just talking about this being like like replacing live shows and touring as a whole. Whereas I think that not immediately, but I think it will phase out, uh, just because of logistically what it costs and and what it takes to put on an actual real production. I don't think that it's gonna be viable. After ten yeah. or fifteen years, Billy says no. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I mean, well, us old fucks will probably always be like, remember the good old days when you could see a show in person. Right. You know, like you could smell the sweat. You know, is that whole thing. Right. Uh, yeah, but I mean, you gotta also know, like, I'm as someone who, I mean, I do spend a lot of time with kids, and like half of them have a panic attack if they have to go like do a checkout like in a grocery store. I mean, like, as, as. I hate to say it, but I don't see this trend of anxiety going anywhere but up when these... I watched the generation of kids just, like, die mentally, like, getting glued to screens in just, like, a year and a half. You know, the ones that were, like, locked down and, like, stuck to screens doing, like, school 12 hours a day. And then, like, when they're done with school, they're playing Roblox and Minecraft and all this stuff. And, like, their work and their play and their everything is involved, you know, centered around screens nonstop. And we know that blue light causes depression and anxiety. And that's why I think, I'm not saying that's why there's a number of reasons, but I, I mean, I know that, that trends like anxiety is definitely trending upward. Like I always say that I say like depression is trending. That's like my thing. It is. And, um, I feel like as these, these kids are growing up, like ironically, like, yes, they are more interconnected. Like they, a lot of them have more friends than I did as a kid growing up, but they they spend exponentially less physical time with them. They have online friends and online relationships. And like, I mean, I, I have a good chunk of kids that have like like boyfriends and girlfriends and like they, thems and like in, that they've never met and maybe never will. And like, that's their relationship. And they're getting more and more comfortable with because they were raised by iPads and they have anxiety and they have depression because they stare at blue light for 12 hours a day. And you know, um, <laughs> I think that as that kind of increases, like, th- why would they want to physically go anywhere, you know, when they could just stay in their safe little bubble and not have to leave, you know, so... Because outside's pretty nice. To you, I boomer. I agree. <laughs> I'm, a fucking, yeah. I'm a fucking boomer yeah. because outside is good. They've been having fucking shows outside for thousands of years. I'm... And you're saying yeah. like no 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 people don't don't people don't want to do that anymore they want to stay at home. I didn't say it's that. Bullshit. I didn't say that right now. No one said that right now. I'm We're saying ever like the trend. It, I saying I'm saying I uh, I definitely see this getting better technology and people are gonna want to do it. But I think uh, the best you, you're never gonna be able to beat virtual reality. 
Or like real life. Virtual, virtual reality is never going to be able to beat real life. That is subjective. I think that's just the and, truth. And uh, uh, we will check in on that in 30 years and then see where oh. it is. I'm saying 100. I'm getting one of those subwoofer backpacks and yeah. a good set of headphones with the goggles. I mean, I'm, I'm saying I'm there. I'm there. I'll do it too, bro. I won't take mushrooms out in public. I've missed out a lot of amazing festival experiences because of my uh, proclivity for comfort. And uh, all I'm saying is that if I get a, a nice bodysuit, some goggles that can take me there, I will certainly eat some mushrooms and have a festival experience. And he's never seen The Matrix. Mm -hmm. I'm not into the Matrix. Never watched it. Oh, what? You gotta do that, man. I oh, tried. Man. I tried recently. We and, all know how and I they asleep. were just loving being in the Matrix, and yeah. everybody was like, "Oh, this is so great." I didn't say it was gonna they be better. They were dying to get out. I didn't say it was gonna be better. I'm dying not, to get out. I'm not saying that it's going to be better or that society is gonna be better because of it. All I'm saying is like the dinosaurs went ex went extinct at some point. Yeah, because like, asteroid. Uh, what are you talking about? All I'm saying is that everything comes to an end. It's not for the oh. it's not for the betterment of anything. It's just it just is what it is. And that's all I'm trying to say. Yeah, I just disagree um, like wholeheartedly. But you have some good points. Um, all right, so let's wrap the segment up. I know you got to go into a rehearsal. I just want to get to unpopular opinions really quickly because this usually takes up a bit of time too. So um, it's all good. It's okay. It's soft. It's it's loose. Okay, dope. <laughs> Um, so what's your unpopular opinion this week, Bill? Uh, Elon Musk is doing a bang up job at Twitter. I don't know. I'm not on Twitter. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Hell yeah. Would you? No, <laughs> he's, he's doing, he's doing a really great job at Twitter. Are you, that's, you're being ironic or? No. Okay. So Billy hates, uh, Elon Musk and rich people in general. So he thinks anything, nice. that, he thinks that anybody that, ha that has seen any kind of success in their life, uh, has never had to work for it and believes that they're just inherently evil. So um, he believes that Elon Musk is evil and is probably doing a terrible job. Well, if Twitter. he didn't inherit money, what did he inherit? Evil. <laughs> <laughs> money is the root of all evil. It yeah. all makes sense. Yeah. I, I the actually, Lord said that. I actually, go to church. I actually had an unpopular opinion about this a long time ago, and I think that language is actually the root of all evil. But we can go. That's a different topic for a different time. Um, I'm just saying, I'll say one thing about this. The the funniest thing about this whole Twitter debacle, it, it's just crazy to me that he went through with it and he could have paid $1 billion and got out of it, but he decided to pay $44 billion or some shit like that. And then he, the first, his first fucking rule of action was like, all you got to do is pay $10 a month and you can become verified. And it backfired so fucking hard on him. It was hilarious. They had to get rid of it immediately. Did you read about that, right? No, I haven't. So because, I'm not on Twitter. No, I'm just saying, but because because you could buy a blue check mark, it makes you look official. So everybody was making these fake accounts, buying that blue check mark, and then like fucking saying whatever they wanted to. And like, I, I can't remember what name of the company it was, but they just lost all this money uh, because they were they like, they said insulin's free. Insulin is free, <laughs> right? From from like a a, a, a medical. Uh, uh, R and D place or whatever. That's hilarious. But he, you could do that. Yeah. And then like not even like uh like a couple days later, it's like oh this is a bad idea, and then just got rid of the blue check marks completely. Yeah. You're doing a great fucking job, yeah. Elon Musk. It's just I love it. It's <laughs> so it's so just like pretentious and just just so like revealing of how little you understand what it takes to run a company like that. You can't you can't. Like you have to, he's going in to try and fix a problem. Okay. No, he's and, not. He's being an, a, and, an idiot. And and the thing is, is that like you have no fucking clue. 
what it means to run a company at that at that level and then you're gonna sit there and you're going to like cast judgment on what he's trying he made a mistake and then he's like he's backing off on it like if you've ever been in charge of anything you've made mistakes you've made decisions that haven't worked out the way that you thought then you go back on it and then you try and like figure out the next way to handle the problem it's like to to, to believe that you that, that you could like judge him and call him an idiot based on a call that he made running a company like that that he just walked into is insane to me. Like you couldn't possibly understand that like 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 the level of shit that he's dealing with trying to like fix the problem that is Twitter or whatever problem I'm not on Twitter, I don't know. But like it's just like it's there's it's it's the guy doesn't just like walk in and just like fix a problem like that. You know what I mean? Like you have it to wasn't a problem. He made a problem. And also uh, uh, what? Just real quick, what did Elon Musk invent? It's it's not it's why it, he, why is he a genius? It's because he knows what to do with his money. It's a different kind of no. of, of of intelligence. He didn't invent shit. It does, he, He's a he, rich fucking he funded a kid lot of projects. whose parents owned an emerald well, mine and bought fucking Twitter for forty four billion dollars. He funded a lot of projects and, and he <laughs> fired everybody. A lot of innovative, and great ideas. <laughs> and so uh, the stock is plummeting. I don't understand why he did it. it doesn't make any. I just don't get why he did it. Because he was trying to to to, to stop the. Uh, yeah, you don't even fucking know. Either. No, yeah. What's your unpopular opinion, Tony? He was trying to make it. He was trying to. He was trying to end <laughs> the, this this idea that people were getting getting banned from from a from a website, a platform that was that was helping with their careers. They were getting banned because there was. They were saying like hate speech and stuff. No, that's not what it was for everybody, man. There's a lot of people that were getting banned because you can't make that algorithm work to scale. It works when you talk about 100, 200 people say something, but words at a certain point start to get misconstrued and ideas and concepts. When you're talking about the variability of whatever 500 million people, whoever the amount of people that are on there, the variability is too hard to regulate. So he was trying to he's trying to come in and like fix the problem of how you regulate speech. So it's not like you know people who whose entire who built their entire career careers on a platform are not getting banned from it because they said something slightly controversial. You know what I mean? That's all. It yeah, is. I mean, yeah. I, have you guys ever been? I mean, my dad was just banned from Facebook for 24 hours because he said like, "Oh, I'm coming for you, jackass," or something like that because we were gonna play darts, and he got banned for 24 hours. I've been banned for one time. I wanted to play a bass gig, and I was like, "Oh, dude, I would kill for that gig." And I got banned for three days. <laughs> saying for kill? Violence. Oh my god, that's crazy. That's what I'm saying, bro. Yeah. It's like you can't. Like, yeah. you, you, you can't. Sorry, go ahead, Chris. No, it's okay. It's well, I agree. To, I actually do agree with, to that extent because it, it, at a certain point, everyone says that's oh, a private company it can do whatever the fuck it wants. It's like, you know. But then at the same time, you know, that same crowd will tend to get upset when a private company decides that it doesn't want to sell a cake to like a gay couple, which I disagree with. I think that's ridiculous. Yeah. But the point is, like, at a certain point, yes, a small mom and pop shop can say or not do what it wants, and it'll reap the consequences of its actions, and it's rightfully so. Well, yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe that's where not. that's where it was at, yeah. <laughs> but but at a certain point, I think there is a scale where like like what? So can Verizon, if they don't like my political views, can they like cut off my phone because they don't like what I say on it? Like you know what I mean? Like does Frontier, who provides my internet, can they shut off my internet because they're like, oh, like fuck you, dude? Like I think at a certain point, like I I I see the argument that it's like a town square because like. The only way that I interface with 99% of my friends is through social media. Like, I don't, I mean, I have a lot of your guys. I don't think I have either, either of your numbers. I think you guys are friends and like, I think we will communicate and like, but we use Facebook Messenger. Like, 
most of the interactions I've had is I see your posts and like, or I, I'm following your posts even from this this show, you know, on Instagram, and I see them pop up. And so the idea that a flawed algorithm, for one, the automated system is bullshit because it can, it will flag you oftentimes for words that the algorithm or whatever the automated system is using is misconstruing without the human element. But there were also Facebook like fact checkers that had, they did actually have like pretty strong opinions in particular about, I know with Twitter, it was dead naming. If you dead name right. someone on Twitter, you will get a lifetime ban. Like that does, and I'm not saying that that's a, that's a, not a thing you should do. You should totally 100% respect, you know, someone who's transitioning, like totally. Like I have a few students that do, I love them no matter what they identify as, like it doesn't matter, you know, like it, it to me, it doesn't matter. I don't think I, I don't, I, it's annoying that I have to say that and, and reiterate that out of fear of being labeled transphobic for just saying that if you dead name someone, even if it's on accident, or maybe you're just ignorant in that moment, you need to be educated. The solution is not to ban someone for life on this platform. And Thank because you. that is in, in this digital day and age, like that's like a death sentence. I mean, 90% of my business comes from social media because I post, these are what my students are doing. This is what my band's doing. Like you're, I mean, you can live as a hermit, like without internet access, but it's very difficult in today's day and age. And that's, that's a serious, you know, now if you're literally a Nazi and there are 3000 registered KKK members in there this country, go. there are, yeah. there's three, if you literally are, I get that. But so often, like, especially during 2020, like a lot of my friends would label half the country as Nazis. And like, that's not like, Billy would probably be one our, of them, by the way. No, I'm just all, the, all I'm trying to say is some asshole fucking brought a fucking bomb inside of a shoot of the airport. And now we all got to take our fucking shoes off. What's the goddamn difference for Twitter? Um, well, it's a private company, and I think that there were there were things in place that I'm saying that's uh, why they ban you because if they if they go like oh well yeah you're right we shouldn't have banned you for that but they also got the fucking three thousand KKK members off I think it's okay no man there's no way it's okay there was literally there was there was a feminist who I can't remember her name right now she she was banned totally because she made a. Uh, uh, a point about not, whatever it was her opinion that there's no difference between uh, or th that like a man can't be a woman and vice versa because she was like a traditional feminist whatever she got banned for life on twitter for saying that that's kind of a crazy thing to ban someone for life for saying why not just have the public discourse about it whether whatever your opinion is and and either way the decision was it, in my opinion for them being a private company is allowed to be there like you, you can make that decision elon musk was like this is a bad idea let me buy your company and i'm going to try and fix that problem he's trying to fix the problem and then people like you are laughing at him for making mistakes while trying to fix the problem and so you couldn't even fathom like what problem he's trying to fix that was the dumbest thing though how, how can you say it was a 44 billion dollar acquisition how can you say that you know what's dumb about that because that's like the easiest thing you've in never the world. made anywhere near about that much why would in your you, life it's why, crazy to me why would you let anybody be able to be like oh no yeah i'm target like that's and I'm verified. Like and you <laughs> well, don't think goofy. that's fucking stupid? It it, it it turned out that it was a really dumb idea for sure. That's all I'm saying. But like he backtracked. Now he's trying to fix the problem. But it's like to laugh <laughs> at him for like making mistakes because he's trying to like fix the problem is crazy to me. Well, he fixed the wrong fucking problem. All right, so <laughs> and it was a great unpopular opinion. Probably my best, I guess. Yeah, that, that was you got you got real real fired. Yeah, up. That, was, that, was, that was pretty controversial. <laughs> I like it. Um, okay, About so to transfer over to fucking Infowars here in a second. You know what yeah, I'm saying? Right, get, we're, we're about to move over to fucking truth over here. Yeah. I mean, you oh, want to talk about somebody who shouldn't have been banned. Just yeah. trying to tell the fucking truth. Yeah. <laughs> but, 
Um, <laughs> all right, so my unpopular opinion this week. I have a point. That's all I'm saying. Okay, keep going. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> my unpopular opinion this week is that, let's see, which one haven't I used yet? Um, oh. You got a list of them too? Yeah. That's so I, cute. I'm not, we both do. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't love it when, when, when comedic actors and writers try and do stand-up comedy. Uh, you mean like, like uh, actors that are normally in comedy movies and stuff or like writers, that? Or writers. Yeah. Or writers. Like you can imagine like Seth Rogen doing comedy. That's what you kind of say. But what's an example? Adam Devine, uh, Penny or Jenny uh, Slate. Um, uh, I, I mean, uh, not, Seth, not, not, not Seth Myers. His brother, though. Uh, what was his brother's name? I can't remember. Mike Myers? <laughs> no. He's also on SNL, though. Um, did he? No, oh, it was Seth Meyers. Yeah, it was Seth Meyers who did a stand-up special a few years back. He just looks a lot like his brother. They both look like each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but but people like that, where it's or, or even Nick Kroll did one recently. Um, hey, but a lot of these people, everything, everybody that you start said like started as a comedian. They started. They started as a stand-up comic, but they haven't done it like the whole time. No. They, they they moved into like writing or acting very quickly. Like even most of them will point yeah. to the fact that like they had like they wouldn't call themselves stand stand up comics. And then even furthermore, when when Seth Myers put out his stand up a while back, they were interviewing him on some comics podcast and they were like, is he a comic in New York? Is he doing spots? And they were like, no. Like, the guy doesn't go out and do spots. Are you crazy? It's just like they're using their ability to act to go on stage and put on an act, which is Fine, but to me, like I'm, I'm like a real fan of stand-up comedy. Like I love stand-up comedy, yeah. and it's so blatantly obvious to ever, me when they're not like stand-up comedians. Have you ever seen uh, Blake mm. Griffin? You know who Blake Griffin is? Uh, I think so. The center for the Clippers for forever. Oh, the Clippers is an NBA team. Okay. Anyways, uh, not a big he, NFL guy. Uh, he he started doing stand-up for a little while, and it was just so bad. Yeah, because he's trying to relate to everybody, being like six foot seven NBA millionaire, and like talking about being interviewed and stuff like that. It's just it's not good. Yeah, but that's mm. he he wasn't a, in movies and oh no, he wasn't a couple of movies. But anyways, the whole point is, I I can't think of anybody else that you talk as an example. Well, three people I just named right there. But yeah, I mean, but what do you think, Chris? I don't actually know those people to yeah. be honest, <laughs> but I, I I I don't disagree with the premise though because. There are a lot of songwriters. Like, I, I don't know if you, I'll do this with my students a lot. We go on Spotify and we'll, oh, you like Panic at the Disco, that song High Hopes or whatever. And we'll look at the songwriters. There's like seven songwriters on right. that shit. There's three producers. And, you know, I, I, I actually, some of them do have, make music of their own. And it's like, when they make it on their own, the delivery is not fantastic. You can tell their skill is in, it's not in the execution of it, it's in the inception of it, you know? Right. So I, I totally agree, even if I don't know the, the people you're talking about, the concept of being able to, like, the art of executing is very different from the art of creating. And so that's why a lot of, like, I know Taylor Swift writes her own stuff, but, like, Katy Perry doesn't write anything on her own. You know, she sings other people's music. Right. You know, in the same way that, like, uh, I don't know if you remember, like, it might have been, like, 10 or some years ago, there was a writer's strike and you had to watch The Daily Show and The Colbert Report when there were no writers for, like, two months or something. I remember that. And it was, like, it was weird because, like, all this time you think of these people as these, like, super funny people, and they still were, but when they were stalling and just trying to fill time and it was awkward, it was like, oh, man, they, like, those, like there is an art to that, you know? But, so, but yeah. I bet those people wouldn't be great, like, if you were to watch them deliver their own jokes, it wouldn't be anywhere near, like, Colbert, you know yeah. what I mean? Right. Well, that's the thing. It's, like, it's also John Stewart was a stand-up comic like 
like he's a comic. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he kind of oh, went. Yeah, that's so he, true. Yeah. He, uh, Stephen Colbert was not so much a stand-up comic. He was an actor. Like he went to Second City and did like he was a an improv <clears throat> uh, uh, comedian. Probably the best of all time. Yeah, he's amazing. And and that's not to say these people aren't funny. Let me just let me clarify this. Uh, I believe that if you are a comedic writer or if you're, uh, you know, an improv, like, like comedy improv, you you are a comedian in a different capacity. It doesn't mean that you can mm. go on stage and be a stand-up comic. That's a different medium for comedy. Yeah. You can write and you're hilarious. You can be on stage or you can be on, on a sketch show or you can be in a movie and deliver the writing in a hilarious capacity. In my in my eyes, you are a comedian still. However, to go on to, like to try and sell a stand up like to, just a stand up special to me is it's almost like it's it's like you're trying your hand at something because like it's it's a creative aspect that you want to go after. But like when these people use their names because you know they're they're like big in movies and and in the, on the writing side of things, they use their names to go and do a stand up special. It's like they're comedians that have been working on the stage for years. They can't get these deals. Mm -hmm. And you're taking spots away from them, basically. It's, it's, a ver it's, it's a cyber version of bumping, in my opinion, at like an open mic, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. people are trying to get their names out there and you're using your clout, uh, not as a stand-up comedian, but maybe as a comedian in some capacity to do stand-up. And to me, it's very obvious when you're not an actual like stand-up comedian. It's just, it's it's clear as day that you're, that you're not a real stand-up, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't know. People seem to love it, though, so I think it's an unpopular opinion. Um, what's, uh, what, what's your opinion, Chris? What's your unpopular opinion, Chris? Uh, life starts at conception, and all abortions should be illegal everywhere. Oh, boy. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm Jesus. kidding. I'm kidding. We are I'm for kidding. sure going to edit this part out. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm no, actually, I'm actually, I'm very pro-choice. Actually, I think uh, there was a, there's a bill in, in I, I don't know, it recently uh, that said something about where, like, I think it's in Florida. I think it's up to 15 weeks or something. I actually think it should be a little higher. I support abortion up to 18. Like, I think, as someone who teaches kids, I think that imagine if you had teenagers running around and they're being a little shit and they're 13. You're like, go to your room. And they're like, no, you're like, do you want to get aborted? They would be so well behaved. So if you could abort <laughs> up to 18, that would be great. So, so yeah. Here, here's what I'll say. Going back to what you were talking about earlier, <laughs> uh, what was the story? And you can always kid? kill your your child. What's like, you, <laughs> what? You're gonna face a consequence. What's what I'm saying? Like, go back to your story earlier. Uh, what was the king that was gonna kill the dude for finding out the weight mass of the crown? Oh, uh, Archimedes. Archimedes. Yes. Yeah, Archimedes. Sorry, I'm very uneducated in oh, history shit. or mythology okay. or anything. Um, are we, are, as a society, yeah. have we um, just kind of thrown the baby out with the bathwater in a sense where, like, maybe, maybe we should still be using death as a, as a real form of Incentive. You There's know what I capital mean? to punishment in multiple yeah, states. But that's more of a punishment. I'm saying just like. They still have like, it in California. I, I'm saying use it as an incentive, is what I'm saying. Use it as an incentive. Like, hey, find out uh, what my crown weighs or is worth uh, or you'll die. Oh. That guy figured it out in fucking three days. I'm I just think, saying. I think yeah. it would work better is, is if you like accomplish something and then you got to kill someone. So is your okay? So, so, so Chris, both ways. Yeah. So yeah. Is, your, is your argument that we've kind of 
<laughs> that we kind of maybe rush too quick to cutting out death as an incentive altogether? No. Uh, an incentive and also just a way of like culling the herd and just making sure that, you know, we're, like it's, um, we've, we have decelerated Darwinism by letting everybody live, right? So we, we should True. definitely not lose that. Like, why is there a warning label when I get Drano that says, don't drink this? Take the label off, man. Yeah. Like, if someone's going to do it, let them do it, man. Like, we yeah. should, there's all these like, yo, don't spread misinformation. People might put a fork in an outlet. Like, let, hey, go for it, man. See what's up. Yeah. <laughs> Cigarettes are like fucking $10 a pack right now. It should be free. I mean, they're just plants, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, yeah. I, I, I kind of kind of don't disagree. Yeah, I mean, it's I, I would be lying to you if I told you this wasn't a thought that I've had like every single day of yeah. my life. Where it's just like maybe we're just letting too many people live. I always think about uh, Dwight Schrute. It's like we need a new, we need a good plague. Yeah, and then we got one. We yeah. got one. And what do they yeah. try? They try to shut that one down real yeah, quick but by just, keeping us all inside. It just they got all, just let, let all, us all do whatever all we the want. Grandmas and grandpas fucking sucked. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Yeah. The worst fucking there's there's uh, got to be like an equalizer, you know? Like, yeah. that's why I'm all for uh, Giant Asteroid 2024, man. Like, yeah. it's just everybody out all at once. Like, is that, it's is great. That, is that a hashtag yet or what? Oh, it's been around for a while. It, hashtag, it happened yeah. in 2020 because of all the Trump stuff or whatever. But Giant Asteroid yeah. 2024? Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Or 2020. It was Hell on Twitter yeah. first. You just didn't see it. Yeah, you probably just didn't see it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, now everyone will see it on Twitter because Elon Musk is doing an amazing thing. With I bet he's going to uh, fucking bail <laughs> in the next month and a half. Maybe. Um, that's hilarious. I, I love that unpopular opinion. Um, yeah, I don't think any of us here have anything to disagree with that about, honestly. It's I mean, uh, tongue in cheek, I actually disagree with that. I think every life is sacred. You can change anybody. But at the same time... But Billy yeah. doesn't support pro uh, Billy's not pro-choice. You just said it right I'm there pro, in that statement. I'm pro-choice. Um, so I just want to say, everyone out there, Billy is not pro-choice. That's not what I said. Let's just go ahead and... Aggressively pro-life. <laughs> yeah, aggressively pro-life no, is Billy. I'm He's not. from Kentucky. You'll have to forgive him. Born and raised. <laughs> want to fight about it. Um, Chris, thank you so much. Uh, to be fair, uh, Billy is uh, pro-choice let's yeah. not end on that <laughs> but uh, uh chris yeah. thank you so much for being with us man it's been a lot of fun appreciate you taking the time yeah. uh we can't wait to hear um the full album in its entirety in context with everything december 6th 6th yeah right? all streaming platforms yep and then the album release show is december 10th at crowbar in tampa the favorite, yeah. billy's favorite city billy's and, favorite and it's city. not even it like that's like the heart of fucking that's ybor city that's the worst fucking ugh. oh yeah <laughs> It's ratchet as fuck, man. Say, it's great. say hi to <laughs> Shoe Licker for me. <laughs> I will. He's such a good dude. He's still licking shoes, man. Fuck oh that guy, God. bro. I fucking hate that city. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, man. Um, well, Giant so asteroid nice. on Tampa 2022. <laughs> oh I'll take God. that. Uh, I love Tampa. For those who are listening in Tampa, I'm a big fan. I will always be a supporter of Tampa. We've had some of our best shows in Tampa, so I love Tampa. First city to go uh, in global warming. I'm all right. Fine. Well, here we go. Um, Chris, thanks again for being on, man. Have a great rehearsal, and we will uh, right, talk we'll to do. you soon. All right. Thank you. All right. See you guys. Peace, Adios, man. muchachos. <laughs> <laughs>